so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? out of what's going on in the world today and come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense. 
and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290, or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. All right. Welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, oh, WCET Radio out of Columbia, South Carolina, iHeart Radio, and oh gosh, I don't even know half the places I'm in anymore. Just go to our webpage, which is the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle. Southern-Sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most just the radio chick, Annie, along with my no-nonsense and, oh, so handy, <laughs> don't tell your wife I said this, <laughs> courtesy. <laughs> yes, my, mom, my mom tells me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> You're so pretty. <laughs> yeah, my son, my <laughs> What did you think oh, of uh, what you saw last night on the debate scene? Oh, jeez. At, at, at least we saw something that resembled an actual debate. For the first time in I don't know how long, actually saw something that looked like a real, almost completely legitimate debate. And since I was on a, the debate team in college, it was a pleasure to finally see some decorum going on, even though she was fighting back her liberal tendencies. <laughs> and she went a oh, little yeah. bit overboard a couple of times. And I was actually, I was in the kitchen making dinner and I was listening at the same time. And when she started to go overboard, I'd scream out of the kitchen. Is she hosting or is she teaching? <laughs> is she the debater or is she the moderator? <laughs> so it yeah, was, they're still it was, running interference for Biden whenever they can. Yeah. You know, they try to shut Trump up when he's about to make a big point. Absolutely, absolutely, and yes, yeah, she did a lot of times. You know, side on Biden's side. Yeah, but uh, I have to admit, it was it was the closest thing that I have seen in years to an actual true debate. I didn't say it's a true debate. I said it was the closest thing to. Uh, but it, it was a it was a breath of fresh air for the first time in a long time, and Trump won it hands down. You know, Curtis, we got so much to talk about today. So much is going on besides just the debate. We got some really really great guests. We got our friend Clarence McKee, uh, who uh, writes for Newsmax among a lot of other uh, publications. He writes for. He's a man on his own. Uh, and we, we really don't have to say too much about him because he speaks for yeah. himself. So Clarence is going to be joining us, uh, followed by Omar Navarro, um, who is in <laughs> his own podcaster. He's got his own show called Omar Navarro Unfiltered. He's run against Maxine uh, Waters several times, uh, unable to unseat her. Uh, but he's he's still out there trying leading the Hispanic. Uh, he's the president of the United Hispanic America PAC out there in California, mm. what's left of Republicans in California. And then we got our dear friend, Dan Perkins. I love this man dearly. 
and followed by our friends from the Heritage Foundation. He's a fellow at the Nice Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at Heritage. Zach Smith will be joining us again. And I got to tell you, we have a coup. We have a coup. Um, at my last Tea Party meeting that we had this past Monday, we showed the movie Trump Card by Dinesh D'Souza, who's been a past guest on the show. I've been trying to get him back on again, but he is so busy. But his daughter has a new book out about the unborn, about abortion. Um, she will be joining us next week, next Friday. Dinesh D'Souza's daughter, um, she will be with that. us next yeah, so we're rocking and rolling. want to welcome everyone that's watching us over on Facebook Live, also that are in our chat room here on Blog Talk Radio. Hi, Duck. Hi, Sas- Sasquatch, among others that are <laughs> watching and listening. I have to give a shout out to our friends out there. Anyway, Curtis, I'm out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're just getting started now. <laughs> I know, I know, but we can't run out of steam now. No, I I swear, there's so much going on, and we've got what do we have? Eleven, twelve, or eleven days left before the election, and I got to tell you, I open up my emails and I nearly faint. I am getting over a thousand emails a day. Most of them are going into my spam folder. (laughs) So hint, 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 Uh, but. I am getting hit on my emails more than a thousand a day. I mean, normally, just with the show alone, I get several hundred a day, but I can't wait until this is over. I mean, phone calls, emails. That's two of us. That's two of us. Um, we we are having long lines um, in my county, um, usually on the first day. Of early voting, we we good if we get about two fifty to three hundred people because it is a small town. But I worked the polls Monday, our first day of early voting, and we had over six hundred and seventy-seven people. That was a record wow. for us. Wow! And it was nonstop yeah. for hours. I didn't even get a break. We opened up at eight thirty. I didn't get my first break until eleven thirty. Holy Three God. hours later. That is amazing. Well, we're going to vote on election day, my husband and I. And, um, and I'm getting a little feedback. I don't know what's going on here. But anyway, um, we tried to register my mom. And you had to jump through so many loopholes just to register her to vote. And I turned around. Uh, when I left, I said... Um, how easy is it for an illegal to register to vote compared to a legal resident? That did not go over too well. <laughs> Consequently, I, I bet. Um, she needed her Social Security card. And for those who don't know, um, my mom lives in the Virgin Islands where you do not vote in the presidential election because they're a territory. So when she came here to live with me, uh, we transferred everything into her name. Little did I think to have her sent a new Social Security card because, you know, I'm worried about her Medicare. I'm worried about her health insurance. 
this that that the last thing I thought was getting her social security card. Very very few times do you have to show it. Well, when we got tried to get her her um, state ID and get her registered to vote, they were asking for her social security card. Well, I had her Medicare card. Um, I had her letter from social security. I had all this other stuff, her passport, all these things you cannot get unless you have a social security number. Logic would have it. Correct, Curtis? Well, that wasn't good enough. They wanted her actual card. Wasn't enough. They wanted her actual card. Well, the last day she was eligible to register to vote, late that afternoon, her card came in the mail. And because of COVID, you can't go to register to vote or get a state ID without making an appointment. What? Which could not be done the same day. You should have said she was illegal. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I tried. That's what I said. That would have got you of line privilege. If, if I could send her illegal, it would have been easier for her to register to vote. She's an illegal leaning Democrat. You would have got, they would have sent a limousine out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. A Joe Biden limousine. limousine. For... The Chinese oh, driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The one that's running for senator. <laughs> I'm Joe. Oh. I'm running for senator. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, um, I've I've been telling my members of my Tea Party to vote in person, and they're telling their friends to do the same thing. So on November third, I think we're going to see a record number of people actually showing up at the polls. So all these people that are voting by mail in or absentee that are Democrats. We're going to cancel you out on election day. You're going to be surprised. I'm not going to worry about waiting in line. I'm going to be sitting in my car because I am disabled. I've got handicap plates, and my husband and I will be sitting there in the car, pull up to the front. They're going to come bring the machine at us. We're going to vote in person. And if you are not disabled, you go in. They're going to give you, if you don't have your own mask, they'll give you a mask. They'll make sure everything is sprayed and sanitized. It is going to be safer and healthier than going to Walmart to shop. I'm telling you, you're going to be safer going out to vote than you are going to your local grocery store, drugstore, whatever, hardware store. It'll be cleaner. Doctor's office. (laughs) You know, the last two doctor visits I had, they didn't even check my temperature. I walked in. I don't wear a mask because I can't wear a mask. I wear a shield, one of those clear shields, which actually yeah. uh, uh, look like blurs a weld, your vision. Look like a welder. Uh, look like one of those welders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I look like. I look like a welder. Uh, but it blurs <laughs> your vision. So it's, it's sometimes it's a little bit more dangerous wearing them than wearing a face mask. But if I, I cannot wear a face mask. I will get really sick, honestly. And I will be sick for days on end. And people will think I have COVID when I don't. It's just that I am one of the few that can't wear a mask. And if people look at videos from about two months ago, my face had blemishes all over it because of wearing a mask. And my face is finally, finally, after two months, cleared up. But imagine if that was on my face, imagine what was inside my lungs. And which is why if you listen to some of the shows in the past, I was coughing my head off. I could barely speak a few words without coughing. 
there are a few of us that simply cannot wear them. And I had to take my husband up to um, MUSC for some tests and treatments for his cancer. And like I said, thank God he's cancer-free now. We, we will get double-checked in two months. But at this point, knock on wood, he is cancer-free. Um, but they were not going to let me in, despite the fact that I was wearing a shield, until I started to recite the HIPAA Act and the Americans with Disability Act. And finally, they sent a supervisor out and I said, listen, Here's the doctor's note. This is all by law. This is what South Carolina law is. This is what federal law is. You can't deny me access at this point, which is they allowed me in. And when they took him for the test and I was helping him uh, get undressed and everything else, I had to take the shield off because it interfered. No one said a word. I had no mask on, no shield on. And it was okay. You're fine. I am the bullshit. They oh, Excuse my language. They, they put you mm. Which just reminded me, I forgot to access and activate WCET, so I just cursed without, so they didn't get it. Sorry, WCET radio, I just activated you. Mm-hmm. My bad. We're about well, you heard about 15. you heard about the president on Rush Limbaugh about a week and a half ago. He was talking about yeah. Iraq and said they better not blank with us, and he said the actual word, yeah. the, the f bomb. He dropped the f bomb on. National radio, 50 million people. Oh, and by the way, our prayers do go out to uh, Rush Limbaugh. Matter of fact, I've got to get his cousin David back on. Um, David has been a frequent guest on the show, too, and hasn't been on the show in the last couple of years. So I apologize, David, if you're listening out there. I'll get you back on real soon. Anyway, uh, talking about prayers uh, to those who are ill and fallen, anyone that listens to our show knows that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Army Specialist Antonio Moore, who passed away on January 24th of this year while serving during Operation Inherent Resolve. And these articles come from Stripes.com, StarNews.com, and yeah, two of them from StarNews.com and one from Stripes. And the first is from Chad Garland, and it reads, Wet weather didn't stop hundreds of people from lining the streets of a North Carolina community to welcome home the body of Specialist Antonio Moore about a week after the 22-year-old soldier was killed in a vehicle rollover in northeastern Syria. Surrounded by family, the soldier's mother draped herself over his flag-covered coffin after it was transferred at the Wilmington, North Carolina International Airport. A local newspaper had photos that showed her. Police and local motorcycle clubs, including a chapter of the Buffalo Soldiers, led a more than 30-minute-long procession that took the soldier's remains through Wilmington, past crowds, waving flags large and small. An online video taken by one of the motorcyclists has shown, we're here because we love him, because we respect him. Radu Shakur, a Buffalo Soldier Chapter Vice President, told television station WWAY. The motorcade passed a bar and grill where Moore had worked as a line cook before enlisting in the Army. There, 
at several spots along a route, an American flag hung from a fire truck's raised ladders. Moore served in a youth program with the local fire department during his high school years, his obituary said. Passing his alma mater, John T. Hoggard High School, the motorcade went under a huge flag held aloft by a crane. A family statement thanked the community for a continuous outpouring of love after an obituary had asked loved ones to share condolences on a funeral home website. Tony was larger than life, full of love and proud to serve this country, the family statement said, comfort in knowing that he was doing what he loved along with the stories and pictures that have been shared from all those that knew and loved him. A memorial fund was set up in his honor with proceeds to benefit the Hoggard High School football team he played for. Our players will know who he was, what he stood for, and learn the true meaning of what a hero is, wrote Coach Adam Brzezitia on Twitter. A member of the Knightbridge, North Carolina-based 363rd Engineer, Engineer Battalion, 411th Engineer Brigade, Moore was deployed as part of the U.S.-led coalition battling the Islamic State group in Iraq and Syria. The fatal incident occurred while the Army Reserve Combat Engineer was conducting route clearance operations in Diyar al-Zawar province, one of several areas where some 500 U.S. troops assist the Kurdish-led forces in preventing the terrorist group's resurgence and protecting oil infrastructure. Moore was on his first deployment since joining the Army in 2017. Born in Brooklyn, New York, he is survived by his parents, William Bernard and Crystal Eunice Fetter Vereen. Three brothers, a sister, a paternal grandmother, and both maternal grandparents, his obituary had read. The young soldier's death, the first U.S. military fatality in Syria since a non-combat death in May, was announced shortly before a helicopter crash killed former Los Angeles Lakers star Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, and seven others. Some in the military social media called extra attention to Moore's death in an effort to keep it from being forgotten amid the outpouring of support for Bryant. Local groups in Moore's hometown passed out American flags and yellow ribbon pins last week while asking residents to line the motorcade route. A funeral service was held at Union Missionary Baptist Church, followed by a burial with full military honors at Greenlawn Memorial Park. Governor Roy Cooper ordered all flags on state property to remain at half-staff until after the funeral. Closest to Army Specialist Antonio Moore knew him as Tony. Former co-workers at Jerry Allen Sports Bar and Grill at Katie's Midtown nicknamed him Smiley. And in the days since his death, that's how he's been remembered most. The young man with the genuine soulful smile. Moore, 22, died January 24th of this year in Deir ez-Zor province in Syria, 
during a rollover accident while conducting route clearance operations as part of Operation Inherit Resolve. Driving past Jerry Allen's off College Road, you can see a tribute to the establishment's former line cook flashing in bright blue letters. It reads, always in our heart, Antonio Moore. Two themes were evident in the funeral service for specialist Antonio Moore, joy and heroism. More than one speaker during the service at Wilmington's Union Missionary Baptist Church mentioned Moore's ever-present smile, which was there whether he was playing football for Hoggard High School or on operations with the U.S. Army. Even before Moore died during a rollover accident in Syria, friends and family remembered him as someone who was there for those in need, to the hundreds of people who gathered at the church. He was someone you can call on, said Moore's cousin, J. Quinn Jones. He would give you his shirt off his back to wipe your nose. Even military officials noted that Moore was someone with joy and love in his heart. A true hero is someone who has an impact on others, Major General A.C. Roper said at the service. It was clear that he did. Tony was a true hero. Captain Caleb Riley, 2nd Battalion Rear Commander, also spoke of Moore's heroism before he died in service to his country, which included a mission that ultimately saved dozens of lives from an improvised explosive device known as an IED. Hoggard football coach Craig Underwood said Moore's number will remain in the end zone for future games. Major Eric Miller, chaplain for the Special Operations Unit, said that a team house will be named in Moore's honor. Other speakers included Wilmington Mayor Bill Psycho and Jonathan Barfield, who presented a resolution for Moore on behalf of the new Hanover County Commissioners. The military funeral continued at Greenlawn Memorial Park. As conclusion, Roper presented the flag to Moore's mother, Crystal Vereen. Then Governor Roy Cooper gave her a North Carolina state flag. I told her on behalf of the people of North Carolina and the memory of her beloved son, I presented her the flag. Cooper said after the event. The overwhelming support this community has shown for this family has been amazing. Today's show is dedicated to Specialist Antonio Moore. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this magnificent, magnificent experiment we call these United States of America. And to those serve who today and into its glorious future. We also dedicate it to the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate to each and every one of them this song by Todd Allen Herringdon, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
stained with the blood of my people. Freedom has never been free. Now my door's always open to dreamers and Listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, oh, good Lord, iHeartRadio, WCET, Radiohead of Columbia, South Carolina, oh, and I'm out of breath. 
Anyway, I am your hostess with the most is the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, who is busy chatting to our next guest, sitting over in the outside studio, so I can't talk to them <laughs> or say anything to them. So as soon as they buddy, buddy, stop chatting, we can get them back on the air. I want to welcome everyone that's listening up in the chat room, as well as those that are over on uh, Facebook Live, everywhere else you're listening to us. Oh, I am out of breath. Anyway, we have so much to talk about, uh, especially about the um, debate last night. It was the closest thing I have seen in years to an actual debate still was pretty much one-sided. It was obvious where the moderator stood. Uh, what is the point of being uh, – I got this question. Someone, someone in the chat room here over on Blog Talk Radio just explain to me what is the point of a moderator that is biased? I mean, the, the point of being a moderator means moderation. You sit in the middle of the road. You let both sides uh, of your your your, your debate teams speak and you just you just help facilitate the conversation by simply giving each of them an equal chance to state their point of view and you do not impose your own point of view on the debate but every single one i've seen the moderator is not moderating it is commentating so anyway ah uh, um, anyway, w- Curtis, are you back with us? Are you and your, 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 your boyfriend over there done chatting, you know, behind my back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, Lord. He's, he's on and ready to go. <laughs> Good afternoon, Clarence McKee. You know, I'm trying to wait. Good afternoon, Annie. How are you? Thank you so much. I was, I was watching you and Curtis carrying on the conversation in the side room. And of course, you can't hear me. So I'm going, oh, good. Okay, it's okay. The two boyfriends are going to talk. I'm just going to keep on going. <laughs> funny. You left me out. I am so hurt. <laughs> we have good sound today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I mean, I was watching the debate last night, and it was the closest I have ever seen in a number of years of an actual debate, except for the fact the moderator still fails to be a pure moderator. You always see their opinion jump into the discussion. You're, as a moderator, you're supposed to be completely neutral. You just facilitate the conversation, encourage both sides to speak their mind, but you're supposed to be neutral. When are they going to finally give us a a debate where you have a purely neutral moderator? What's point of the word of moderation or moderator do they fail to understand? I think it's going to change the next round, um, next few years. This debate commission has totally um, – I'd say blow, blown this whole thing because, you know, the members. In fact, I know. And they bias. Yeah, they bias. I've known him uh, many years ago in Washington. He's a great guy, but something's not right there. With the, when the moderators they're picking are so biased, and their organizations are so biased. And last night, listen, um, she's not as bad as I thought she was going to be, but she kept interrupting the president. You know, you know, she didn't interrupt Biden that much. But it's, you're right. They're not moderating. They're kind of. They're not even referee. Running interference. 
They run That's on interference. Right. And didn't want Biden to get any tough questions from the president, who did a great no, job. He, I mean, the president did a fantastic job. Although a couple of times I was yelling at the screen, calm down, Trump, calm down, Trump. <laughs> My mom's looking at me. Uh-huh. I, I That's the Donald Trump, Trump we all knew and so, voted for last time. And uh, he's very calm, uh, cool, collected, uh, great style, you know, hit all the issues. And just, uh, I like that he didn't come out of the gate talking about Hunter Biden and the money, because that allowed Biden to sit there wondering when it was going to come up. And then who brought up Russia and who brought up all of those things? Biden opened the door. So I thought it was very good. And the president hit all issues. I would say, using the baseball analogy, he he almost hit a home run, and I'd say, he was caught between third and home plate on one issue he did not hit, which I was praying and yelling to hit, was going to be school choice and charter schools. I mean, that is the biggest winner for him. Um, he hit everything else, though. He did a great job. did a great job. And I know the media is upset. And even some of them on, I think, CNN and CBS and ABC indicated that he did okay, generally. But just he well, exposed they're trying to declare it a tie. That's oh, how they're getting out of it. It's a tie. <laughs> he just exposed <laughs> Biden, uh, who hung himself last night. Oh, I'm, you know what is amazing? That oil question. You know when you're watching somebody and you say, oh, my gosh. Talk about an intercepted pass. When he talked about the oil industry and Trump let him right into it and he just fell for it. So that that is Ooh, he did a great job. The president was just great. What I'd love to see anyone hits on that oil question. I, I, I Curtis has heard me say say this many times, or asked this question many times. Name me one thing in your daily life, in any part of your life, that does not contain a petroleum product. Outside of walking out your front door and breathing God-given air and sunshine, name me something that is not touched. So you tell me you don't want to drill for oil. Well, where's your next iPhone coming from, buddy boy? And you you want that nice, beautiful electric car? Name me a (laughs) single pump that car that is not made with a petroleum product. Oh, you like those organic vegetables that you get? Name one thing that did not plant those seeds in the ground without using a petroleum product. Even tires, right? I didn't know that. Uh, Your makeup, your soap, your towels, your bedding sheets, the filters that filters your water, the pipes that bring the water into your home, the electricity. Bags. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, good Lord. These super endurable plastic bags. They don't want these single-use plastic bags. I'm sorry. I've never known of a single-use plastic bag being used only once. You know, mine gets used about several times, a single-use plastic bag. Yet the single-use plastic it ends up Lasting longer in the dump than the single use. I, just tell me, people, where petroleum products do not touch your life. That's exactly right. 
people, when they start thinking about this, they, um, uh, that's why I'm glad the president hit those points and that he walked into it, into that trap. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I, I don't know what you both think about this, but I'm from upstate New York, well, New York State, and you vote on Election Day unless you're a student or in the military. When you get this early voting, absent, uh, absentee ballots are fine. But you've got how many people they say have already voted? So if anything comes million. up in the last th- or three weeks before the election that are game changers, all these people who have voted are not aware of it. Not that it would make any difference, but there are a lot of people, I don't know if their votes would have changed, but there are a lot of people who would say, oh, my gosh, look what Biden's son is doing. And look at this debate. It was really good. So I don't know what you think about that, but I don't think they should uh, do that. Uh oh, your mom is calling. <laughs> Get oh Lord, I didn't know we, that's a fax machine. <laughs> anyway, I'm also from New York State, as you can tell from my New York dialect. That's getting a little bit I'm more from southern. Philly, Philly, uh, Long <laughs> Island. Yeah, they made me drop the G off of Long Island. I used to Long say Island. The G. Huh? <laughs> they say Long, Long Island. Island. What is a G on the word? Long it's Long Long Island. Anyway, um, my sister is from upstate, and she's down here visiting us. And I actually heard her on the phone going, hey, listen, you haven't sent me my absentee ballot. I told you I'm down here. I need the absentee ballot. So she's making sure she and her husband vote. But you don't realize the the counting of these absentee ballots and these early voting ballots as being Democratic votes, that if my – highly conservative sister and her highly conservative husband are asking for absentee ballots. I think they're counting them a little bit too early. Don't you think so, Clarence? Oh, yes. This is, oh, well, not only that, the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, what did it do? It said you could five days, November 7th or 8th, you can count ballots. Oh, it's, it's, it's going to be bad. So I think that what's going to happen, and I pray to God it does, that he's got to have such a victory on November 3rd that there can be no doubt that he won it, that no matter how many absentee ballots are out there or mail-in ballots in a particular state, they won't make that state swing away from him in the Electoral College. So I'm praying for a big landslide. I really am. Um, There are a lot of shy voters, Trump voters out here, and a lot of silent ones, especially black ones, I'm telling you. In the closet. Yes. Which leads me to an article that you recently wrote for Newsmax about Trump's secret weapon. Clarence, what is Trump's secret weapon, you you believe? Silent black support. That's the secret Boy. weapon that no one's talking about. And I'm glad you mentioned the article that's uh, Newsmax this week. If you take a look at the number of black-authored books out, including mine, I can say how Obama failed black America and how Trump is helping it. There are several I was other just going to do that. You jumped black. at me. <laughs> oh, no, no. There's several, other, several books by black authors about Trump, supporting Trump. And, you know, he didn't see this with Ronald Reagan's re-election or George H.W. Bush or George W. Bush's re-election. And you're seeing a black pack, a very good black pack, it's Raised over five million dollars, uh, Black Americans to reelect the president. Farrell. Yes, our Big friend pardon? George Farrell. Our friend yes. George Farrell. 
Yes. George, I'm Black Pat. He's such a sweetheart. Yeah, and all this is kind of unprecedented, and you won't read about it in the major media. Uh, you don't see it unless you listen to your show or hear it. And you look at the blacks running for the United States Senate, the Republicans, who are getting national publicity. So they kind of give cover to an ordinary black person who's not out in public life to say, well, look at all those folks at the Republican National Committee Convention. Uh, look at the blacks running for office, like Kimberly Classic in New York, in Baltimore, John James. So I think we're going to have a big black silent vote for him. I just heard, I, don't, I can't find it on the Internet. Let's see, I'm sorry, I get to. Um, but Ramison's got a poll out from the 20, 19th to the 23rd of this month with the likely black voters going up to 35 to 40%, it says, for, like, for Trump approval. That's historic. And I'm just predicting 12 to 15%. But I don't know what you think, C.S. and Annie, but I think this is going to scare the hell out of, excuse my language, out of the Democrats. That's why they're playing this race card. But the whole point of my article was silent black support, secret weapon of the president. And it's going to happen. Pray to God. Yeah. There are a lot of books that are popping out just before the election from minority authors, and all in huge, huge support of Trump and the conservative message, the Christian conservative message, I should, you know, yes. explain. Um, but, Curtis, I, I, I don't know if it's going to be as high as 55. I would say minimum would be 25, which at that is historic. Really? That's it. 25, 25%. Wow, yeah. when is the last time a Republican got 25% of the black vote? Wasn't it back, was, did Richard Nixon was the last one, wasn't he? Gosh, that, that would Dick. be... Yeah, Tricky Dicky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that would be historic. And, oh, well, that would be all over. The, the Democrats can't win. If, if, if that happens, we hope it will. Ain't no way that Mr. Biden, Hayden Biden, cannot win with that. <laughs> Hispanics, well, too. What, the only thing that would make this election even more historic is if we took back, we not only won the White House, maintained the Senate, but took back the House. God. And that he mentioned that last night, didn't he? Yeah, he said I, take I, back the House. Yeah, I do believe. I do believe. You know, and, and Curtis, you've been posting a lot of a lot of interesting things up on the internet, and I do pay attention to what you send me. <laughs> okay, yeah, I send out a lot of commentary, and it's very good, very good, Curtis. And I sense. basically send them to um, family members that I, that I know are Democrats, and um, friends that I know, you know, vote Democrats, um, because I'm trying to get them to, you know, lease give it a pause, you know, about what they, they, they vote for, you know, and, and really look at the, the issues and not the personalities. You know, the, the left, the left is always, you know, about personalities and, and emotional subjects and topics. But I try to get people to look at who's, who's doing the most to impact, you know, your wallet, 
um, your your freedoms and protecting your liberties the most, you know. And then the positive. You know, Curtis, one that I that I've used that you sent out about two months ago, Annie. It's this. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune had mm-hmm. a comment said, "I have freed thousands of slaves, and my only correct me if I'm wrong in the exact words. Oh, Harry I have freed Harriet thousands Tubman. of slaves." However, I only regret I couldn't free the other thousands who didn't know they were slaves. Right. That was Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, that's right. Wasn't that a great line, Annie? Oh, my. (laughs) Fellow South Carolinian. And I sit right smack in the heart of where she did her work. So, yes. Harriet Tubman. Yep, Robert Smalls, Harriet Tubman. Oh, yes, we had a lot that came out of here, Beaufort County. Oh, yeah. Is Lindsey Graham going to win that election down there? It's going to be very narrow. Uh, Jamie Harrison um, puts out a message that makes him sound like he's a conservative. What he is not telling the voting public is that he is a lobbyist. Normally, you become a congressman, then become a lobbyist. He is a lobbyist who wants to become a congressman. He is a communist. He Mm. is an avid communist. And he's well, I know that negative ad. Are, but are they running negative ads against Lindsay? That way. He should start attacking him. Are you, do you want to elect a lobbyist to the Senate? Which is exactly what he is. He is working as a lobbyist. So do you I think there's going to be a conflict this year? That's scary. It is well, scary. And the... The ads he puts out there, if I did not know these facts, I'd go, hmm, he does sound like a good alternative to Lindsey Graham. And there's a lot of people oh. that are ticked off Lindsey Graham here. A lot, Why? especially military. Uh, because some really? of his stance is taken. I mean, I have physically stood toe-to-toe with Lindsey Graham. I mean, he's, he's, I'm only five foot three, and he and I were looking each other directly in the eye when I went against him. Because at oh. that time... 2012, uh, we had a very strong possibility that Lindsey Graham would, coming out of this primary, go into a runoff. Now, federal law states there must be 45 days between your, your federal election, and if there's a runoff, you need 45 days before you have the next election to decide the runoff. The runoff was scheduled two weeks after the primary. And I said, mm. you know, Lindsey Graham, you're military. You claim you are very pro-military and helping to get the military their vote. Why are you not asking this runoff to be 45 days after the primary? And he gave yeah. me this weird explanation. Of, oh, the military's going to get a special ballot where they get three choices. Excuse me? They're going to get choice A, B, C. So if one of these three end up in, if they happen to end up in the runoff, then they get their vote in. If these three individuals they pick do not make it to the runoff, they have no vote. And he would not back down. And when he does stances like this, the military looks at him and goes, really, how much are you for the military? And I find a lot of Marines, and we're a heavy Marine-saturated area, we're not happy with Lindsey Graham. And if he loses the military vote here, he loses oh. that Senate. 
So he's okay. in a very narrow race. Well, I hope he can pull it off. Well, the last time I he had so. somebody... Go ahead. No, no, I hope so, too. The last time somebody raised so much money was the guy out in uh, in Texas, in the Texas race, you know, who raised the largest number of campaign contributions than anybody in history, and he lost. So I'm hoping... Oh, Beto? That, um, yes. So, and the Supreme Court rate... Um, thing with Justice Barrett, I hope it's going to help him down in South Carolina, because he's getting a lot of visibility for him. That's the biggest victory you can get. I'm holding my breath until Monday, because you never know what the Democrats are going to do. Well, that may pull his bacon out of the fire. That alone may just pull his bacon out of the fire. And it's going to be a very tight race. For the first time in his life, he's actually going to have to campaign. And he's got, what, 11, 12 days left. And yes, if he doesn't absolutely. do something soon, he, he's depending uh, upon his base. Unfortunately, his base have been a lot of Democrats that rolled over the line and voted for him. Okay. He's always depending on those moderate Democrats or those rollover Democrats to cross over the line and vote for him. If Jamie Harrison takes those Democrats away from him, I don't think he's got a chance. And we may end up for the first time in decades to have a Democratic Senate. And you have two Blackwood senators, won't you? Yeah. Yeah. Tim Scott. My gosh. Well, let's hope this guy does not win. Uh, I I think they've got to do some very heavy, negative, very negative ads. Not be afraid of being called a racist because that's what, you know, and these white conservatives are always afraid of being called racist. Kid him with everything they have, uh, and ways, especially if to go take back some of the blue dog Democrats who don't know how liberal this guy is. Gosh, well, good yeah. luck to you on that one. But the president, well, uh, president can get Lindsey. Is he coming down there soon? Um, the president, that would be great if he comes he's, to South he's Carolina have to. after last night. He's going to have to. The president's going to have to show up somewhere here in South Carolina to give Lindsey Graham a boost um, because if you, I go out to my mailbox and I've got at least five or six flyers for different campaigns, whether it's Nancy Mace, Lindsey Graham, Joe Cunningham, uh, Jamie Harrison, and those are hitting my mailbox daily, daily. And when I go down the main street going towards my house, I see an equal number of Democratic signs as I see Republican. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. So we we have a a narrow line here. Now, the funny thing is, is that the only signs that are being taken and stolen are Trump signs. (laughs) Which means that Democrats know. Democrats play dirty. I'm telling you, we're just too nice at times. <laughs> just too nice. I had my own Trump sign that I had at the side of my house. I have a Graham Mace and I had a Trump. My Trump sign is the only sign that's missing. I go down the street and where I see Graham Mace, Trump is missing. I see at about every other one, Trump is missing. 
So I got a friend of mine that works in the Trump campaign and it says, you know, you know, Austin, do you have some more Trump signs, please? Yeah, I like it's stolen. They're stolen. <laughs> but I have to admit, I have kept one sign as a souvenir. <laughs> That's not going out okay. on the street. That's my Are there souvenir. any black papers down there in South Carolina? There are Charleston oh, has some. Because no, I, I told the Trump campaign a long time ago they didn't listen. I had a proposal that they should be buying half-page and full-page ads in black press constantly and talking about, like the president talked about last night, you know, the opportunities yeah, for prison and school choice. But I don't know, you know. And then, you know, see, that's what uh, they do. They, they run an ad. Uh, oh, they run an ad, uh, but it's generic. It's not talking about a mother talking about taking her kids to, a pri- to private schools and um, school choice, you know. Well, but, you know, hope they don't miss that ban, Megan. No, I'll, I'll send you a link. There is a major newspaper down here, the Golden Geechee, um, that covers that, that, that area. Uh, the Golden Geechee, matter of fact, uh, my buddy, before he passed away, Lloyd Marcus, always had an editorial running in the Golden Geechee. And I was always surprised because I'd pick it up, and it's a highly Democratic newspaper. Uh, but Lloyd would have editorials in it, and I, I miss Lloyd. Um, but I'll send you a link to the paper if you want to put an editorial in there. Oh, well, okay. That'd be great. But yeah. I just think, I think, uh, I think in the polls in the next few days, we're going to see a little uptick because of last night. And I guess, as I mentioned in CS a couple of weeks ago, the people we got to get back are the, you know, you have the Trump anti-Trumpers who don't like him, who go for Biden. They don't like Biden, but they don't like Trump. You've got to turn those people back around. Uh, I think he's going to get to do well with the suburban White Housewives, too, if he, on, on some of these issues. The violence. I was so glad last night, and I'll get this last point in here, when they asked about uh, Black Lives Matter. <laughs> and he was so great when he repeated that phrase, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. That said it all. That's just what this, that group is. And he did okay on the racial issue. Yeah, but well, he had said that um, they were Marxists. That, that's a Marxist group. He could have added that, I think. Mm-hmm. He got his point across. It was just, I get so sick when Biden and these liberals play this game of trying to placate black people. Oh, we got it. We know that, you know, your sons and your daughters, we all know that story, you know. But as Trump said, let's get back to the issue. He'll learn. Biden will learn on election day, based on what you two are saying and what I think from my article. He's going to get a huge black vote. South Carolina, you got Mr. Claiborne down there, right, pushing for <laughs> pushing for Biden. But a lot of blacks aren't going to tell you they're going to vote for Trump down there, all over the country. We can't get Mr. Clyburn out of office, unfortunately. And we've had people try to run against him, and he's just so deeply entrenched. And in the Charleston area, it's never going to go Republican, I think. Oh, yeah. Do they have any conservative? Well, I know Black will dare run against him, right, in the primary. A friend of mine uh, happened to have been Hawaiian, Hispanic, Filipino, Black. And she tried running Ooh. against you talk about someone that's a multiple minority. And unfortunately, even the Republican Party would not back her in her bid to unseat him. And that Whoa. was the problem with the previous 
uh, chairs. The current chair, Drew McKissick, had he been in that seat when she was running, I think he, she would have had 100% endorsement behind her. But the previous chairs just said, no, it's not winnable, so why waste our time? It's not going to be winnable unless you try to make that dent to begin with. And that's what people fail to understand. Unless you show an attempt to make a dent into there and bring our principles into the area and say, hey, listen, this is what we stand for. This is who we are. Unless we start to try to win the hearts over, you're never going to get that seat back. But you've got to make mm-hmm. the first four in there in order to win that seat. It may not be this election cycle, maybe the next or the next after that. But you've got to make an inroad. And they're not doing that. And they, and they wait every four years to do a little bit of nothing. Right? Gotcha. But I'm confident, as, as you are. Um, you said 25? <laughs> what was that percentage you said, Annie? 45? I would say 25%. 25, 25. or 45? 25, 25. you'll get black folks. Oh, okay. That's and okay. That's... He's going to wow. get, get a great number in the Hispanic and Latino community. I think he's going to get about 50 Guess Bush uh, and George got around forty percent. Okay, that'd be it's going to be great. And, and not only that, said, he's got all these law enforcement agencies that's backing him. That's a lot of people. It's mm-hmm. a lot of voters. Exactly. And Curtis, I just sent you a message, honey. Um, but you also kind of consider for the very first time ever in its history, my friend, my fellow officer, who I I worked with. Patty Lynch, NYPD, PBA, the Police Benevolent Association of the New York City Police Department. For the first time, the PBA of the NYPD has endorsed a candidate, and he has endorsed President Trump. He has also even gone so far over that he sent out an email to all the members of active and retired saying, we are endorsing these candidates across the board in New York State. Whether you're upstate, in the city, or on Long Island, these are the candidates we are backing. Every last one is a Republican. For the first time, have they ever stood up and said, this is what we stand for, this is what we believe in, and these are the candidates we want you to vote for. The first time. That's historical. And there are a lot of black and Hispanic cops who like Trump, too. (laughs) Definitely. You know that as an ex-policeman. Without oh, yeah. a doubt. Incidentally, the publisher finally got me the, ex- the copies I wanted of the book. So I'm going to get yours out and CS's out as soon as I get uh, the other pat- batch coming in this week. So Make they're sure on their way. It. Make sure Take you sign it. Well, you I will. Sign it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I'll be sending gonna... you my address. I'll send you my address. Great. Mel, Tell them to go to Amazon and read it. This is perfect timing. Just perfect timing. Oh, right. yeah. With all the issues. And we have to finish the book. That you, the book you wrote is called How Obama Failed Black America and How Trump is Helping It. And yeah. you, you listen to a lot of people that are speaking out there. I, I've seen a lot of um, uh, videos going up on YouTube and being posted out on Twitter and Facebook about Ordinary Americans, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, veterans, young, old, 
all saying why they are supporting Trump. And, oh, did you see the video yesterday that was put up of Obama addressing an Obama, uh, a Biden crowd? I counted I, no. nine people and two photographers. Eleven people total. <laughs> nine people and two of the people there were working the Biden table. One guy, a white guy, was wearing a Biden uh, T-shirt. Another woman was trying to hand out a little thing. Looks like she was getting some sort of a, a signature thing. Uh, so two people were working the table. Seven people were standing around, and two others <laughs> were photographers. And Obama has a megaphone. You're addressing 11 people with a megaphone, wearing a mask. And I just, I just, I was cracking up. And I'm, I'm turning around to my mom. My mom stole my Archie Bunker chair. I got to admit, she, she stole my Archie. So she's sitting in my Archie Bunker chair. I'm sitting in the couch. And I go, look at this. I, I'm, I'm pointing at the screen. I'm going, counting the people. And she's just shaking her head. She's going, I never, never have we ever seen. And have you seen any crowd for Camilla Harris? Oh, wait a minute. That's right. She oh, Lord. come out of her. <laughs> Kamala, Kamala, Kamala What a left winger she is You know that story But we won't get into it But it's just sick And the, of course you don't see a lot of the camera Panning around to see five cars out there And um, they can't avoid Showing Trump's 20,000 people though <laughs> Well I heard that um, Obama Pretty much went unnoticed In his Philadelphia visit the other day um, You know he really not too many he people didn't wrote Hillary. his coattails whenever mm-hmm. whenever he campaigned for another person running for a Democrat seat. Rarely did anybody you know win. They, you know his point. coattails just didn't attract a lot of voters. Um, <laughs> now failure. A question God. for you, Clarence. Yes, um, sir. From Fort Lauderdale to Miami, um, there's there's a large. Um, Population of um, Islanders from the Caribbean. Yes. How do you think they're going to vote? I would think that there's got a lot of quiet Haitian support. Haitian Haitian did well with Rick Scott really groomed the Haitian community down down here. Now you've got a few strong Democrats. This is a very unique community that you have Black Amer- African Americans and Caribbean Americans. And you better not call somebody from Jamaica African American, okay? But the the elected officials, of course, are standing up for Kamala Harris. But there are a lot of people from the Caribbean who talk about her. What do you mean she calls herself being from Jamaica? Her father was, and there are stories about him having some weird relationships in terms of slave ownership and things of that sort. But a lot of people are not jumping on that bandwagon because she's from Jamaica or Jamaican heritage? No, not at all. So I don't think there's going to be a landslide from the Caribbean American community for her. Because, you know, there are Caribbean Americans are a lot. You've got people from Domin- uh, from um, Haiti, Dominican Republic, uh, Trinidad, former Lieutenant Governor Jennifer Carroll uh, of Florida is from Trinidad. And yeah. there's a big Trinidad in Jamaica. So it won't necessarily be a big thing, I do not think. 
And she tries. To, when she was down here, I don't see her playing any. She was here about a week ago, down here. I didn't see her uh, making a big effort to go into the Jamaican community, and I didn't see a lot of Jamaicans coming out to push her. So that was a very good point you raised. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I do know that the Cubans are usually, they favor Republicans, and the Puerto Ricans are usually Democrat. That's right. Well, the president of Puerto Rico endorsed President Trump a few weeks, several weeks ago. Wow. And He's done a lot for the the, so the earth was it the hurricane yes so yes. that's a democratic crowd uh, Clarence, group Clarence, yes speaking, yes speaking of Latino Americans we have our next guest on the show Omar Navarro who has been trying to run against Maxine Waters and maybe looking to cha- challenge uh, Gavin Newsom Omar Navarro good afternoon and welcome onto the show hey Great. thanks for having me. Congratulations oh. to you, my friend. Thank you. Yes. We yeah, have, we have Clarence McKee. McKee. Yeah. Clarence McKee, uh, who has a recent article up on Newsmax uh, speaking about the black community and vote, which uh, Trump seems to be winning, as well as the Latino vote. And you are in the communist state of California. <laughs> I swear. Yeah, I know. It is such a beautiful state, and what it has been turned into is such such a heartbreaking. I I don't even know how to go there, uh, because I just I've been out to California numerous times, and it's such wealth, such beauty, and it's been destroyed. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I believe that California is still here, but it's just the problem is we have all these liberal politicians who have run the state to the ground. You know, the politicians here seem to blame Trump for everything he does, and they seem to blame all their all their failures on him. But in the actuality, you know, Democrats have had control of California for a very long time. Uh, they control city councils uh, from the board of supervisors all the way, you know, from the mayor of Los Angeles. I mean, so it, it's, they have complete control. You know, even, even Maxine Waters said it in an interview. You know, she's, she's like, I'm not responsible for everything. I'm like, they are mayors in these cities. They are responsible for the homeless. And so it, it's like, of course, she's responsibly, uh, responsible for some of the things that they've done. So what I look at it as, okay, so she even puts the blame. She's even saying that the blame is to some of the people that are in charge on a local level. Well, a lot of the people who are involved in a local level are Democrats, the people that are elected. So the problem is that you have all these city, city politicians that are just sitting there promising things that they're going to deliver, they're going to address the homeless, that they're going to take care of them, that they're going to get them off the street. But yet nothing ever happens. They keep saying the same thing. We allocated a quarter cent sales tax uh, just a few years ago. Uh, we increased it. And, and the money wasn't even used towards the homeless. It was actually diverted to the general fund uh, to be able to pay for their uh, current obligations, which are pensions. And that's a problem. You know, because they're taking money, uh, and they're taking money that should be going to something, but it's not going towards that towards that service. And at the end of the day, it's like if we don't address the problem that we have now, and that's addressing the mental health problem, addressing the drug problem, addressing uh, the the issue with housing, uh, and actually getting people in homes, rather than housing illegals, uh, that's the problem. Because a lot of illegals seem to be in front of the line, while a lot of homeless that are legal citizens are in back of the line. There's a problem with that. Yes. By the way, quick question. Maxine Waters doesn't even live in her district, does she? She lives in some mansion, huge, huge place with gated. 
But it's not. She doesn't live in her district, does she? Or is that no, wrong she information? Well, she, it, let's let's go back to uh, 2012 uh, when the redistricting happened. Uh, Maxine yes. Waters is actually uh, get, uh, basically she was pushed out of her own district uh, because <laughs> the redistricting. So she yeah. was living in the district at one point. But because of redistricting back in 2012, what caused the district demographics to change, uh, it, it everything kind of shifted over. And she went from obviously living inside the district, and she lived in that very affluent community. Her home's over $4 million. Um, and it, it's, you know, she went from, from the living in the actual district to living outside of it. Now, the district actually re- is represented by in like the areas like Inglewood, Hawthorne, Lamita, uh, part of Torrance. Uh, you have uh, Harbor, a little bit of Harbor City there. Uh, so th- that's part of the district. Uh, Compton is no longer in the district. Watts is no longer in the 43rd district. Oh, South wow. Central is no longer in the district. So a lot of Gee. people have this uh, connotation with Maxine Waters representing South Central, Watts, and, and Compton. But those are not mm-hmm. in the district. Is that, anybody who suggests that is ignorant and doesn't know the district is not from here. So, wow. So, yeah. So, I, so like the guy that's running right now, he, you know, he's a rhino. He's not even a Republican. Uh, but, you know, he's probably paid off by Maxine Waters to help her solicit, solicit uh, her to win, uh, mm-hmm. so, which is a very disappointing because I actually live in this district, and, and it's, it's really sad that we're going to have to indulge another term of Maxine Waters. Gosh. Okay. Oh. That's the 43rd yeah, district. Yeah, yeah. And we need you in that seat, not another Waters surrogate. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was hoping. You know, it, 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 it's it's disappointing. You know, Maxine Waters will try to do anything to to keep that seat by all means, and it, it, it's disappointing to me to see that. You know, the constituents in my community are going to have to suffer. Uh, they're going to have to indulge that term with her. And it, it, it's one of the things that I focused on when I was running. And I'll say this: I invested a lot in voter registration. I I, I wanted to increase the turnout because the Republicans here in California seem to be very lazy. And very responsible, not investing in voter registration. So that's one of the things that candidates now have to kind of take the responsibility of is investing in voter registration and getting people to re-register to switch Republican or, or independent. doesn't matter. doesn't have to be a Democrat. You know, yeah. <laughs> anything else is better than being a Democrat. That's what I think in my mind. You know, I, I heard stories about vote harvesting. Well, we know that it was heavily yeah. done in 2016 and 2018, uh, but I now the Democrats are a little ticked off because the Republicans caught onto it and they're starting to do it, and now it's a bad thing. What do oh, you? Oh yeah, what, I mean, what you, they're just, they're just like trying to slam like like it's kind of like they're upset because the Republicans are doing it now, and it's like it, it, it's it is what it is. I mean, they can't just like get upset at something they've been doing forever just because Republicans are not catching on. I'm like, they, they're the ones the cause of this. we got to put a stop to ballot harvesting. I mean, there are people out there who want to put a stop to this ballot harvesting. I mean, there are, Tulsi, Tulsi uh, Gabbard, who talked about it on Twitter, that she wanted to put a stop to this uh, ballot harvesting operation that's been going on. I mean, the, we should put an end to a ballot harvesting. I mean, it, it's unfair, and it's, it's completely it's, – it's voter fraud. Yeah, it's fine. It's legalized voter fraud. That's what I call it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you know, I'm on the executive committee for our county GOP here, and uh, we were talking about so getting I. people out to vote. And I stood up and I said, you know, are you, is anyone, anyone else here 
aware that South Carolina has vote harvesting. The only person that stood up was my former state representative. Um, No one else in the entire room of over 250 people were aware that South Carolina has vote harvesting. I am pretty sure the Democratic Party is fully aware of it. So if you don't what your state is doing, how can you protect your vote, Mark? And, and, and the thing is, uh, what I tell Hispanic voters in California, the Democratic Party is not so democratic. They're against everything that is democratic. So it, it, it's just the thing, the label that they throw themselves. And, and it's just like, like a lot of Hispanics are misled when they come to this country, and they do it legally. A lot of them do it legally. There's, there's people that do it legally, but then there's people that do it illegally. But again, are, they're misled into like going to a party that they don't really understand. They think it's democracy. They think Democrat is democracy when it's not that. I mean, so it's just the Republicans are the ones that really have their interest at hand. They're the ones that they want to prosper. They want to be able to have businesses. But yet Democrats like Joe Biden want to tax them 66%, 62%. So, I mean, mm-hmm. so that, that's what you have. You have these Democrats that are in there that are trying to take any success that goes into coming into this country and want to become wealthy, want to become something of yourself. And I think that's right there, the ignorance that happens within the Democratic Party that – they, they, they try to champion that they're for the American people when they are the complete opposite of that. They are not doing that. And by the way, they're also killing babies. I mean, I'm pro-life, and you know, I'm not, I, I, there's no way that I would ever support anyone that was pro-choice. And the same thing goes with the Hispanic and Latino community. A good percentage of them, which is about 65% of them, are pro-life. And the other, um, the other percentage of them are pro-choice, which is very mm. disappointing because that's changed in the demographics and numbers over time. But also we have, to, we have to also get the turnout with the churches. You have about 90% of the people that go to churches that don't even vote, 10% do, which is really upsetting because if we had a bigger turnout of people in churches that go to them to go out and vote, we would win every election here in California. We have so many churches here. We have hundreds of thousands, and yet uh, – they're not turning out to vote, which is a big issue. Well, this comes back to the idea of the Black Robe Regiment. Our American Revolution was founded with the Black Robe Regiment. How many pastors ended up fighting at the side of the American Revolutions? Uh, but we have churches now, because of the IRS intimidation, are afraid mm-hmm. to even mention anything political from the pulpit. There's been a pushback over the last few years of speaking from the pulpit. But when you look at, and I am a former Catholic, I'm now Anglican, um, but you have a pope out there that is telling you that owning private property is bad. Uh, When Mm -hmm. the pope goes out and supports same-sex marriage, uh, when you have, I'm I'm, going to say it on air, and you're going to hear for the first time, anyone's going to say this. I'm saying this Pope is the Jezebel spirit. This is not a holy man. This is Jezebel spirit. It is the anti. And oh, it, it, I, I'm it, with it, you 100% on that. Yes. Yes. And, and, and I, think, I think it has a lot to do with, with, with the, the church and the way it's gone and everything. And that's why a lot of people get turned off and, and they leave the Catholic Church for that very reason because – they feel like the people that are in charge are not even abiding by their own, you know, by their own guidelines of everything. With you know, if you read the Bible, it, there's no way that in, by any means that gay marriage would be okay, that killing a baby on autopilot would be okay. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. 
So for me, it's like it's disgusting that these guys are just not even like they're, they're just pushing their false narrative. And they are the Antichrist. Uh, that's what I believe. No, it's very true. And actually, I'm seeing a pushback. Uh, my mother goes to the local Catholic church. And on November 1st, there is a movement. There's going to be a, a quiet, prayerful protest on November 1st uh, by various churches and organizations promoting pro-life. And matter of fact, the day before that, Dinesh D'Souza's daughter will be a guest on our show. She's got a new book out about, you know, abortion in America. Buy her book. She's an amazing person. (laughs) I've had had Dinesh on the show a few times before. I'm trying to get him back on. And it's like trying to (laughs) hit a a bubble. (laughs) You can't can't catch it. But, you know, there is now an awakening, I think, among not just the Hispanic community, but communities across the rest of the nation. What we're seeing with the destruction by Antifa and other groups, um, American people, mainstream America, is waking up against lamestream media and saying, wait a minute, Uh, this is not what we're about we're normally a peaceful people. We want to go about our lives, educate and watch our children grow up, have our own prosperous business or work for someone and retire comfortably. We don't want all this disruption in our lives. And that's what America is basically about, you know, prosperity. You know, we're an experiment that is never, the world has never seen before. We're an experiment where freedom and choice has never been exerted with such liberty before and america is waking up i think this is going to be a ballot box revolution clarence am i saying anything yeah. wrong here no, no you're not 100 percent, right on target and and oh. one of the things that i think personally is the you know like people like adele like danielle uh, who, you know, DeSouza, who's daughter of uh, Dinesh D'Souza, wrote a book about it, and I think she's targeting a demographic of young people that, that are, are pro-life, and, and they're not coming out, they're not saying anything, because they feel intimidated by, by their other friends who are pro-choice. So I think, I think that's the movement that's coming up right now. There's a lot of Christians that are just starting to say enough's enough, and they're saying that we've got to put a stop to all this, and we've got to take a stand. Well, I got to say, uh, I've got some of the best people that listen to the show because I've got someone in the chat room, always a spot on. I call him Sasquatch. Uh, he's he's written the command that thou shalt not steal would be meaningless if there's no private property. Boom. Exactly, that's- and that, that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying trying to steal intellectual property and and private property. It, it's a it's a war on, even on the internet too. You know, um, Clarence and I discussed earlier uh, the debate that went on last night uh, on Biden for you know, drilling for oil, for fracking and everything else. And uh, out in California, Gavin Newsom signed an order banning sales of gas-powered cars by 2035. Oh, by 2035. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard of anything so stupid? What happens to Classic Car Club? I'm sorry, you, you have a classic car show that can draw thousands of people and bring prosperity to a local town, but you can't have it because gas-powered cars are banned. You can't even cross the just, state line now? Let me just say this. You know, California has a business plan of going out of business. 
Uh, and that, that's the problem, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty much a sadistic way of thinking, and it's a lack of common sense. I mean, it's just, it's just the rationality that this governor has. I mean, the delusion that he even has that he threatens to shut down our, our water supply or our electricity. I mean, this is what goes on in this state. I mean, forces, forcing us to wear a mask when we shouldn't even have to be forced to wear a mask. If you want to wear the mask, go ahead. But I don't feel like I want to wear the mask. If I'm going to catch the corona, I'm sure I'm going to be fine and I'm going to recover. And I'll abide by the whole two-week quarantine and all that. But at the end of the day, is like you can't force the Americans to do something they don't want to do. This is what goes against. This is the most un-American thing. This is exactly what my family came to escape from communism from Cuba. They can't escape communism because the government is forcing them to do things that they didn't want to do. And they came here for economic opportunity, and they obviously got that. And and, and now it, it's it's uh, being infringed on by the Democrats, who are the party of communists. Omar, well, you know, I... is it true? Is it true that um, Governor Nunes wants to um, um, Newsom. Newsom. for any for any Newsom? business what? that leaves California? Yeah, for any any business that go to another state, he wants them to pay for the next ten years taxes to California. Is that true? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That this part of that the, the state legislator, Did that pass? Uh, you know, in the state Did of California has. Yeah, yeah they, they, they're, they're trying to push that through. Uh, it, but that's, I, I believe that's something that's going to have to go to the voters uh, in the state of California. So it, we're going to have to see that. Piece. Stuff, certain stuff goes to the voters, but then they'll try to sell it as something good. Uh, and, and they'll say, oh, you know, tax the wealthy. You know, let, let, let's, let's just tax the wealthy. Yeah, it's a wealth tax. That's all it is. They're trying to tax anybody who makes any kind of money, and they're trying to get a dip in it because they know that everyone's leaving the state. And even Gavin Newsom is so Same desperate. Year to keep people here in the state. Well, you know, <laughs> what was to say then that the person closes the business down and reconstitutes it in another state? Let me just say this. One thing that I look at this, this is basically like holding someone hostage. And in the real world, you would go to jail for holding someone hostage. And that's what Gavin Newsom should get. He should go to jail because he's holding business owners hostage from leaving the state. And that's economic, it has an economic crisis. Well, not only that, California's doing it, New Jersey and New York are also trying to do the very same thing. And like I said, you know, what what says that you don't turn around and form an, another business out of another state, sell all those assets to the other business, and just reconstitute it? That's what's mm. going to happen. Delaware well, is going to find a lot I'm of I'm sure they will write that into their law. Exactly They'll write that into happen. their law <clears throat> that you can't do that. No. There was an old I, statement. I, Go ahead. I'm sorry, Claire. My first business I had, which I uh, bought into back in, in 1970, mm-hmm, um, was out of the state of Delaware because the New York State Corporation laws were so odious. Oh, when yeah. Later on, it, yeah. After I retired out of NYPD and my husband wanted to start a new business, we did start it in New York State because the laws at that point realized that everyone was going to Delaware and incorporating. So New York State <laughs> was not getting any tax money. And finally, they wised up. But now they're going back the other way. And Delaware and Texas and South Carolina and Florida and other red states are looking far more attractive. And as I understand, over a 1,000 Families, not individuals, families are leaving California per day. Are you going to have anyone left it? 
Wow. It, it, it's just like a it's like a thing you got to look at. These liberal states, you know, they they are they're trying to impede on economic opportunity, and that's they're not going to stop doing that. But again, it comes down to common sense. It comes down to the constituents and the community and the people, American patriots, to take a stand to say enough's enough. And, and that's why I firmly believe that Trump's going to do really well in California. He might not win California, but he will do really, really? well. He he will shock the world. And I firmly I, I'm I'm a believer because I've seen it. I've seen it. I've gone to a different parts of the state of California, and I've seen people in Sacramento have like over 700, 800 people marching. <laughs> through a bridge uh, in support of the president. So when you start seeing stuff like that in support of the president in San Francisco and Sacramento and Beverly Hills and Los Angeles, you're, you're, you're starting to see like there is, a, there is a coalition of people who are saying it's enough enough. And these aren't young people, I'm saying. These are not just you know, the, the, in the boomer generation. They're, these are the millennial and, and, and the younger generations that are starting to come out, and they're saying like they're catching on. The, the, the left can't hold them for hostage for no longer because they are realizing that this is an economic crisis. And for me, that those are the facts. You know, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the numbers. You know, two plus two always equals four. And to the Democrats, it equals two for some reason. But I, it's just it, they try to make things up out of thin air and wave a little wand. And at the end of the day, that's not going to save us. What's going to save us is going to be the president of the United States who has, who has been actually making sure that other countries are not taking advantage of us. Uh, and, and, and that's what he did from the very beginning because all these other countries were just taking advantage of us. And he went straight to China and he's been saying this for years, you know, even before he was president, he was talking about how China was killing us economically, how they were taking our, our, our business and our industry, how they were, you know, uh, developing things more than we were. So that, that became a big issue. And that's why Trump got elected because people wanted to see the whole term of made in America again. Because back then, there was a time back in the 80s when Ronald Reagan was president that things were made here in this country. And what happened? You know, it got stolen from us. The steel industry completely got, went to, to China and other countries. And, and what, what do we get out of it? Nothing. Because the Democrats, all they did, and the fake rhinos, establishment Republicans, they sold us out. Yes. Wow. These rhinos you are know, a big problem. Yeah, they are. And Clarence, for the first time, I think people across the globe are starting to respect America again. We didn't see that under Obama. True. Yeah, you scared and, me. And, and, the, and the thing is, like, it's like the you know the import and export business was very big at one point in our country, and and again, when you have when you have only ten percent of the things imported into our country. Uh, if 90% of the things imported into our country, that's pretty bad because we're not exporting anything. So it's just 10% of us, 10% that we export. So I mean, so that's that's horrible. I mean, we should be we should be the leaders in exporting and, and, and bringing goods to other countries, and we're not doing that. We need to be the winners at it again. And I believe that you know, reelecting Donald Trump is going to get us to that point. Uh, of course, uh, we have to undo a lot of these liberal policies that that have screwed us over, and and Trump is fighting. Well, you know what? I've got my next guest on the line, and if you two want to still hang out, um, I'll introduce you to another friend of ours, Dan Perkins, and we can get ourselves a three-way conversation going here if you're willing to hang out. Sure, I'll hang out. Okay. All right. All right. We're just going to do a round robin around here, and I'm I'm having a blast. I'm going to sit back and let you guys take over the show. So let's welcome to the show. 
Dan Perkins. Uh, he also is a author of several books, including the Red Nile uh, series. Uh, he's a commentator, TV and radio personality, a veteran. Uh, he also has songs and stories for uh, soldiers, which help soldiers with uh, PTSD and traumatic brain injury. Welcome aboard, Dan Perkins. I brought you into a viper pit that includes Clarence. Oh, McKee. Dan, thank you for your service. I re- God as bless well you. As- and Omar Farrow. So welcome Thank you. aboard, Dan. I'm throwing you into the the pit. <laughs> oh, well, what's 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 Dan. in the pit? So I know what I'm up against. <laughs> well, you Dan. got my co-host. I got a co-host, Curtis Diaz Bennett, who also is a naval veteran as well as an author of 25 or 26 books. I forget, Curtis. I lose count. Wow. Uh, as well, as oh, Omar Navarro. Uh, who has Omo Navarro unfiltered. Uh, he's also a small business owner, president of the United Hispanic American PAC to get Hispanics to lead oh. the Democratic in California of all places. And Clarence McKee, who is also uh, of McKee Communications, also uh, political relations and training. His book is How Obama Failed Black America and How Trump is Helping It. And Dan Perkins, my buddy and friend. So this is what we got around Robin today. Boy, what an honor. So what's the subject subject on the table? (laughs) Um, I forgot. What's the the subject on? (laughs) Uh, We were talking about with Omar uh, Omar about uh, Gavin Newsom and his policies in California and trying to bring people out of the Democratic Party into the Republican uh, but we're also talking about uh, Trump's uh, performance on the debate last night, and I was I was glad, and I thought it was excellent. I think uh, uh, also just for our other guests, um, I'm a registered investment advisor. I've been managing money for over 50 years, and energy has a, been a core tenant of my clients' portfolios for decades. Um, we we had the Democratic nominee for president basically tell the country that we were no longer going to have our own supply of energy. We were going to try and produce it with uh, solar and wind, and we were not going to have any uh, carbons, so that if we had a need after we shut down our industry, we would have to go overseas to buy that uh oil or natural gas, which is exactly what we were doing for 75 years, and we turned over control to our economy and our national security to foreign powers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that was prob- – were to, to me, there were two very significant highlights. Uh, one was uh, when, when Biden talked about he was going to eliminate fracking, and uh, and and – and it wasn't going to eliminate fracking, and uh, Trump called him on it. And within moments after the debate, a lot of people had copies of the videos and all the things that he said about it. So he was caught lying. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It's just as a side note, Annie. Whenever somebody, whenever the president says something that is not flattering to Joe, Joe's automatic re- response is that he's lying. And when we talked about the $3.5 million that the Senate committee identified as coming from the wife of the Moscow mayor, 
to Hunter Biden's company, he said that was a lie. So, mm. you know, uh, he, he, he also gets he also said that he, you know, he didn't he said that when, when they asked him about Ukraine and, and the involvement there, he said that no one in Ukraine cared about it. And, and, and I'm like, did he just say that? Uh, that no one in Ukraine cared about it. So that was his response to, to deflect away from what happened between Hunter and his family. I mean, this is just, corruption is just constantly and constantly going. I'm like, these people are not even going to jail. I mean, look at uh, Bill Clinton and Hillary and the Clinton Foundation. Uh, you know, they're caught in the cookie jar and with all these documents that are coming out, and, and not, no one's doing anything to these people. Well, there was a release this morning that the FBI has uh, has uh, subpoenaed the uh, the gentleman who spoke before the convention last night, who was the apparently the CEO who had talked about all the documents that he had, and mm-hmm. he's going to go visit, he's going to go visit with the FBI and bring along all his hardware and software. The second thing that I thought was was amazing, that was very quick, and if you didn't pay attention, you missed it. But I thought it was extremely dramatic and very powerful. When Donald Trump turned to Joe Biden and said, you are the reason why I ran. Yes. I love that. That, that, that I did exactly too. was I, it. Because when he said that, I was like, wow, my heart, you know, my heart just got going right there. And I felt it. Because I remembered when Donald Trump took a stand against Obama, remember when he was at that event and, and Donald Trump was kind of going back and forth with Obama. And that reminded me of that. He, was, he actually endorsed Obama when he ran for president, and he was backing him. He thought he would be a good cheerleader. Even Trump said it. And, and Trump, uh, Obama disappointed Trump in, in the way he led, and he wasn't even a cheerleader. That's what Trump ended up saying, that he was a failure. And, and I think that when it comes down to it hand in hand, uh, you know, you have the, the old administration that just completely destroyed this country, and, and that's why Trump ran he said he would run he said in the past that he would run if it got so bad and that's exactly why he ran he ran against these people because that's exactly what they did they destroyed this country and he 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 wanted to pick it back up and and make america first now you you what well, the other thing that i i was surprised i i watched fox news uh the the, the surprised me that nobody brought up about a statement that was in the in the campaign or in the debate last night. Joe Biden laid down the groundwork for what he's going to do if he loses. And the way he did that is that he talked about his son and all the deals and all the stuff that was reported that you had Mr. Schiff from the Congress saying that it was, quote, Russian collusion. So they're going to, if he loses, where Hillary said it was the Russians who were involved, Biden is setting up the platform that to say that it's the Russians involved again. They basically put out this false narrative. And, and it was amazing when he said, I think it was five, five former directors of the CIA, either party, suggested that all this stuff on these computers was all Russian interference and Schiff said the same thing um and so that to me is is don't be surprised if if he loses we don't start hearing that as the rationale the 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 false narrative on 
the computer and everything else and his business dealings is what cost him the race. His credibility was destroyed by the Russians, and that's why he lost. So he's That'd be good. That means, well, exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, I think, that, so I think that's going to happen. That they, so they'll claim that the election was stolen and challenge the election for the next four years in court and say Trump was never a legitimate president. Interesting. Again, I, again. Now, I, I, if I might just segue just a little bit, Annie, um, the other two gentlemen uh, um, in my uh, biography, uh, um, I also have been writing for about 20 different current events news blogs all over the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, I write social – I write current events. And I'm uh, and I'm in the in the process of writing uh, a story about Obamacare, and it's not done. I just started on it before I left to to make this call. Um, but let me give you where I am at the moment. Okay. The congressional budget. This is the end of 2019. The congressional budget office says if nothing's done with Obamacare that the, the cost of the premium subsidy, in other words, if you have below a certain threshold of income, you can qualify for the government to pay some or all of your insurance premium. So that the cost of that subsidy is now estimated to grow to $1.4 trillion annually by 2030, 10 years from now. But let me give you a real-life story about a couple who is 60 years of age. They live in Nebraska, Grand Forks. Their total household income is $70,000. At that Mm -hmm. level, they're over the subsidy dollar amount, just barely, over the subsidy. If they want to buy the Obamacare silver product, now remember, seventy thousand gross income. Their annual premium is thirty-eight thousand dollars, and their de- and their deductible their deductible out of pocket is before they get to out of pocket their deductible is eleven thousand dollars. Well, so thirty-eight thousand plus eleven thousand, forty-nine thousand dollars out of a. $70,000 household income is what it costs to participate in Obamacare. And you wonder why people say, I can't afford it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Wow. Now, I'm so, I mean, that, like quick... I said earlier, the Democrats' plan is, tr- is to try to bankrupt us and leave us broke so they could turn this country into a socialist, communist country. So that, that, that's their overall goal. And, and people Let need me, to start seeing uh, that a little bit more. Right. Um, I agree with you. I, I, I just want to make one other point. Um, in the early 80s, I worked uh, – well, actually, from the, from the early 70s to the late 80s, I worked on Wall Street. And I was a broker in Columbus, Ohio, moved to New York, took over a product area, built products, raised billions and billions of dollars. And I was also writing for a magazine – called Entrepreneur, and I wrote the Money Wise column for five years in Entrepreneur Magazine. 
answering questions about what to do with money. <clears throat> and so I, I, I tried to help people figure out what they should be doing with their money. And I, I looked at, at that time, the cost of, of health care, and we were beginning to say um, that we were – that. That too many people. This is what this is the way it started. The rationale for Obamacare was, and I quote: forty-seven million people are without health care insurance, and that didn't work. So they changed the narrative. It's like going from from uh, climate change to global warming. They had to find the right combination. So they, they abandoned that, and what they said was 47 million people don't have health care. They dropped the insurance. Now, Obamacare was supposed to deal with that problem. They never hit their numbers. They never got anywhere close to their numbers. At best, they had 20 million people on Obamacare, which is, is falling away. So what, what, they, what the Democrats did is change the narrative. It's from health care, health insurance to health care. Well, the practical reality, the practical reality is that individuals, regardless of their economic status, always have access to health care in the United States. You can walk into a nursing into a into a emergency room, and you cannot be turned away if you don't have the money to pay the bill. That's that's public health policy. Thank you. So thank you. Yeah. I've been saying that for so, years. I know, I know. So we have a situation where um, the um, the congressional budget congressional budget office did a study, and of the now it's close to 39 million who still don't have, quote, health care. Clearly a third of them have it because there isn't a doctor in their community. It has nothing to do whether or not you can afford it. There ain't no place to go. We have driven doctors. If you, if you know anybody that's doctors who've been in private practice, and I've known a lot of them over my career, the, the Affordable Care Act drove more and more doctors out of private practice. They sold their practices to a hospital and became a stack doctor, or they retired, and we're not replacing them. Why are we not replacing? Going back to the article that I wrote in the 80s, the cost of the education to become a doctor isn't justified based on the income that they can earn today. That's a good point. And so... So, so the reason why there are, are less and less doctors is that doctors left the practice, they retired, and the number of new students coming in to be, to be medical students, to be doctors, is diminishing. So the pool of replacement doctors is getting smaller and smaller. <clears throat> At the same time, their incomes are going less. So, exactly. so the, the, the question then becomes, should the government – in the insurance business because <laughs> that's what Obamacare is. It's insurance. Yeah, the, the, the insurance companies are making a killing out of this. 
Yeah. Well, oh, they oh, might be I, making, I, I, go ahead. Amy. I actually had, I had actually one of my doctors when Obamacare was up being debated said if Obamacare ever came to be, he was going to get, he was going to walk away from his practice and become a shrimper, which he did when he was going to college to pay for his college. He did mm-hmm. exactly that. He closed his practice and became a shrimper. And I, I've, I've seen doctor after doctor, they either close their practice or they become one of these doc in the box. They join a large firm. Um, I just mm-hmm. had gotten my mom, my 88-year-old mom that I talk about stealing my Archie Bunker chair. Her doctor mm-hmm. is no longer in practice because he was such a bad doctor that he had COVID <laughs> while he was treating his patients. And the practice wow. said, well, 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 you have it's a COVID virus. Horrible. You tell us or your patients that you were treating. So I had to turn around and say, well, what date did he uh, contract it? And did my mom get exposed to him? Thankfully, no. Uh, uh, his partner was using dead people's names to write prescriptions for oxycodone. This okay. is the quality of doctors wow. we have out here. These are two do- the only two GPs that were in this practice. I mean, this is what we're coming down to. You either have a concierge doctor, which I'm paying through the nose for, so I have 24-hour mm-hmm. access to a quality doctor that I've had for 18 years to maintain him, or you're left with a doc in the box. And mm-hmm. this is what we've got down to. This is what Obamacare has done to us. Yeah, it put us in a, in a situation where, you know, again, like, it, it's just it's just the idea of it. It's just, again, it was the Democrats' motive, again, to push something that, down our throats. And it, whether it works or not, they don't even care. They, all they care is about undermining our, our, our Republican and to destroy it. And that's what they want to do. That's what they want to accomplish. For me, it's like, a, it's like, like here in California, you have the start of all these uh, radical uh, mentality. That's where it starts. A lot of these people are thinking this way, and they're ruining these states. Like, like I said, Gavin Newsom earlier, you know, trying to get rid of uh, gas-powered cars by the by 2035. And I think it's very unreasonable. And, and any other governor needs to do away with that. Well, let me, let, if I might, respond to that comment, Annie. Um, I, I've I've done a lot of research work and a lot of writing on the Paris Accord, which Donald oh. Trump took us took us out of and a lot of people don't understand that the two largest co2 polluters in the world are china and india a lot of people don't know that china is building a coal-fired power plant every week bringing one online to meet the power mm. needs. Now, I look at that, and, and, and when I started looking at that, and I'm saying, well, wait a minute. If these two countries are the largest polluters, what was the idea in the Paris Accord to give them a pass to do nothing until 2035? And if we already have, if we as a nation, the United States, already has the best quality of air and water of most of the industrialized nations of the world, spending $97 trillion 
on global warming, how much is it going to change the CO2 level coming out of the facilities in the United States? Not much. So that China and in India yeah. are the greatest polluters, and they don't have to do anything for 35 <laughs> years. Or, exactly. Excuse me, for 15 You're years. 100% years. right, yes. China and India tend to be the, the number one, and they're doing more damage than, than any other country in the world, and that, that's pretty bad. I mean, they have to, we have to hold them uh, responsible for a lot of this, including the, the Chinese virus. Well, that, 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 that's a, a really good point that was up in the debate last night. I, I was disappointed that the president didn't jump on what I'm about to say. What, when Joe Biden was talking about how he would uh, deal with China and other countries if they, if they did something wrong, he said they would have to pay. What? The president didn't ask Joe Biden they would have to pay. The president's response was they increased the tariffs 25%. And they gave fifty billion dollars to the to the farmers because yeah. they were so adversely affected by the Chinese and their their embargoes. And, and my point is, Biden didn't say how they were going to pay. Trump has said how they're going to pay, but all we know is we hear they're going to pay. But the, nobody's telling us from the Democratic side how they're going to pay and what they're going to pay. We don't know. Yeah. If. That's a huge thing, too, if. Right. <laughs> yeah, you that's the question you'll always ask yourself, is if, if they do pay. You know, that's, I, re, I, doubt, I highly doubt that. They won't have to pay no, a thing under Biden. No, now, I, have, I have one other. Oh, oh I was just going to say, you notice that while they are the largest polluters, they are also the cheapest labor that steals companies from other nations, including ours, major from ours, as well as intellectual property. So they're well, that, getting hits from any which way they can to steal what our, our wealth is. Right. And they're taking over I, Africa I, and the Caribbean. My gosh, they're everywhere. Yes, they are. Now, I want to I, I wanna prepare you for something that's going to happen a week from today. Mm-hmm. Um, on Monday, the Chinese government said that they believe that the preliminary third quarter GDP for the Chinese economy would be plus 4.9%. Now, that's down approximately um, three full points from they, they run between 75 and 8% GDP. And so they're trying to beat us out before we release our preliminary third quarter number on Friday, a week from today. And my sources in Washington tell me that the initial GDP for the United States for the third quarter, and remember that Donald Trump has been saying all along is going to be spectacular – 31 to 35%. Wow. Wow. 31 to 35% GDP on an annualized basis in the third quarter. 
And we had yesterday initial jobless claims came in about 100,000 100, under the expected number. And we had people without jobs uh, drop by over a million people over the previous week. So the economy is getting better, and, and, and I agree with the president. Imagine what we could do if the blue states that had everything locked down would open up a, just a little bit how we could go. I mean, we, we put in 12 million jobs since the pandemic, and we've got the, the economy going to grow 30 to 35% for the third quarter and probably do as well. Earnings that are coming out now for the third quarter are off the charts, so businesses are making money. And, you know, the, the famous question, I, I wrote a commentary uh, for, uh, I write for, one of the places I write for is Medium. I think I might have sent it to Annie. Um, I said, the most powerful question ever asked a political candidate to another candidate was done by Ronald Reagan and he asked the American people when he was running against Jimmy Carter, ask yourself when you go into the voting booth this simple question. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And the Gallup poll two weeks ago released the results of that very question that was asked to their research base. And I think the number was 56% of Americans said yes, they were better off today. That's right. In face of the pandemic, and only 32% said they were worse off. So, so almost two to one said they were better off today than they were. And and so then people are asking when this, this number came out from Gallup, how is that possible? I'm going to give you two reasons why it's possible. The price of housing is going up as people begin to relocate to different places out of the big cities, the demand for housing and the price of housing is going up, number one. Number two, the recovery in the stock markets, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, the Dow, the Russell 1000, whatever you want to talk about, has been spectacular. The Dow is a little bit behind, but if you look at the chart of any one of those three major markets, the V-shaped recovery that the president is talking about is right there on the chart. And Good. so they, they, may, they may be be concerned about the virus. The other thing is is, is the impact of the virus. And, and I've also written about this in, uh, enormously. The mainstream media equates cases to deaths. <laughs> The explosion of cases is, means there's going to be an explosion of deaths. That's not true. In fact, in the commentary I wrote this week, I show the chart that shows what's happened. And while the number of cases goes up, has gone up yes. dramatically, the death rate has leveled off and started to slowly trend downward. Um, and and the, the latest number that I saw was, that even if you're in the high-risk age group, the mortality rate is something in the neighborhood of 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 97.9 percent. So that 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 even if you get it, your chances of surviving are very high in the highest pro risk profile rates. So we 
we have this, and we have a conflict. We have a conflict from our, quote, scientists. Um, I wrote one of the first stories in February when the uh, Imperial College in London projected two and a half million Americans and a half a million Brits were going to die because of this virus. And I said that it was absolutely ridiculous and terrifying. And that caused, in my opinion, COVID-19 panic on a global basis. It's, it's a terrible thing that 200,000, 218,000 Americans have died. But may if, if I might just put that in perspective, we've never closed since 2000 or since 1918, we've never closed America on the, even the worst outbreak of a flu season, never closed it. In addition to that, um, why are we not closing the system? Why are, we, why are we not closing down the country when 600,000 people die of cancer in this country every year? Well, you know, Dan, if you look at the figures, and I rounded it off saying 220,000, and we have approximately 330 million uh, legal residents in the United States. And if you do the percentage, it comes out to zero 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 six 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 six. Not even right. one cent of our nation has died from this virus. We had the Spanish right. flu. We had a higher mortality rate with the Spanish flu while we fought World War One, and we did not close right. down the nation. The world did not close down, and right. this pandemic. I, and and I, I, I actually go nuts when I hear everybody you know, like, I wear a face shield because I can't wear a mask. And I, I walk around, I get looks. I get sneers. Uh-huh. I have tried to go up to FSC for my husband's cancer treatment just, just earlier this week. And it took me 45 minutes before they allowed me to go back with him because I had to disconnect some of his medical equipment before they did his MRI. I mean, they're freaking out over something that we shouldn't be freaking out over. Yeah, common sense. Yeah, social distancing. Do you know, I have to I have to laugh because I look at someone who wears a mask and I'm getting bumped in the butt by their shopping cart. Where's the common sense of their social distancing? Oh, yeah, great. You're wearing the mask, but that doesn't give you the right to turn around and violate my space. But no, 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 no. That's not how they look at it. I'm the one that's no. wrong because I'm wearing a mask. I, but we're going over some, overboard on something. Like you said, the well, common cold. People get the common and, cold and more, more. And more people and, die from car accidents, cancer, uh, liver disease, uh, whatever. There are far okay. more things that are more dangerous than the stupid COVID virus. And, and it's time so we say stop. Me, and they're also me, trying me, to deter us from voting. Uh, and they're trying to say, trying to make an excuse like, oh, we shouldn't be going to go out and vote, and like here in California, when when people can make lines at Costco, and I've seen the lines, they're pretty big to go inside <laughs> of Costco. So I mean, like if you go to Costco line, I mean, you could go vote. I mean, it's just a sorry excuse to person, and so they could do their voter fraud. Well, I just I said, while I wrote, it, I, wrote, 
I wrote another commentary this week on the town hall with Donald Trump and Samantha Guthrie. Oh. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, listen, I listened to it. I listened to it. And I wasn't sure what I heard. So I got on the internet and I found a transcript of the show at 14 minutes and I think 33 seconds. Samantha Guthrie said, quote, at least 10% of the population of America has COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> now, now, look at the numbers. We have 327 million people in this country. So 10% of the 327 million would be 32,700,000. We have 8 million cases. So she overinflated the number by 4 to 1. Nobody called her on it. We have this, this debate going on about the public school system. I can't tell you the number as of today, but I can tell you the number of about six weeks ago. The total number of children in the United States who have died from COVID-19 <clears throat> is 17. And we're talking about keeping the schools closed because the children may be exposed and they would expose their teachers. Again, <clears throat> Why is nobody talking about the hundreds, if not thousands, of children who were shot and killed in our inner cities across the United States today? Mm -hmm. Why are we talking about closing down an entire education system because 17 children have gotten infected and died? So, again, it's a matter of priorities. But do you, do you have the numbers of how many have been killed in the inner cities? 1,700. In comparison to 17. Yeah, 1,700. I mean, when you look at what's going on in Chicago and Philadelphia and, and, and Detroit and San Francisco and Los Angeles, and you look at these cities all over the country, Atlanta, children are, children are in the crossfire. And so what do we say? What do what the Democrats say? We've got to get rid of the guns. It isn't the guns that kill people. It's the people who kill people. And yeah, Dan, the that's, that's killing blacks, and they don't course. care about <laughs> Right. Oh, you can't, no, you can't say that. Go ahead, You're not allowed to say that. Well, I do. Yes, that's what it is, even in black mayors. You know, what would happen, Dan and Omar and C.S. and Annie, if you had 30 white people killed in Chicago, New York, or any big city. Just 30 in four months. You'd have the National Guard in there, wouldn't you? You would have the National well, Guard. Yeah. Um, very possibly. Very possibly. But, well, but, that would happen. But, but I look at... It would for sure happen. Look at... So, so um, the idea that uh, that that black lives matter have the the power to decide that we are 
we're going to keep the schools closed, and we want to defund the police. What what a asinine thing to think about that that in 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 Chicago we're going to defund the police and do we really think that social workers are going to go out and be involved in <laughs> confrontation where guns involved I mean, we, we have a situation in Minneapolis where this all started where now the city council is outraged because crime is up and the police aren't responding well, and they want police protection the themselves yeah, right. but the thing that so, the thing that they're not talking about is that there are a hundred less policemen on the police force in Minneapolis than there were before this all started. Right. And that's that's something like eighteen percent of the total police force is gone. And police forces all over the country are seeing more and more people, more and more officers, retire early, leave, whatever. And so I, I, I use that as another example of how absurd and how emotional that w- w- decisions were made by corporate America and by governments. No. Um, it, it's absolutely insane. And the idea, uh, I, I just finished a life's work in a, a novel that I wrote that is about Abraham Lincoln and the second assassin. It took me four and a half years to write the book. <laughs> and Lincoln, ever before I started writing this book, Lincoln was somebody that I idolized and I studied for decades. The idea that people would, would tear down his statues because oh. they thought he was a racist. And the, but the idea that there would be people in this country who would support that. Yeah. I mean, San Francisco is San Francisco's now thinking they're going to have to rename as much as 40 schools because the name of the school might be racially charged or homophobic or whatever. They need to change the schools. And, and we as Americans, as, as ashamed as I am, we let it happen. But we sheep, didn't say we? anything. We didn't say anything, and yep, and, and it's just it, it just shows how divided. Now I I, I think I think uh, I I said I don't know whether I said it on any show months and months ago. I think that Donald Trump will probably win three hundred and sixty-five electoral votes. When it's all said, wow, three sixty-five, wow, and and the Democrats will challenge and everything else. But <laughs> if he wins three hundred and sixty-five, I think his coattails change the House and keeps the Senate. So now we have the House, the Senate, and the uh, and and the presidency all under Republican control. Lips. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> but I think what's going to ha- happen here is that mm. the Democratic Party will implode. Mm. And you're, you're going to see a, a, I mean, a it's already happening. I mean, they're undermining our public safety. And, and again, you know, you have this racist organization that I call Black Lives Matter that is out there. And it, it, it's, it's like they only care about is black lives. What, a, what about every other life, you know, Hispanics, whites? Uh, Certain black that, lives. That's all they're concerned about. 
This was killed by cops. Right. The free I, I'm telling you right and now, so they've lost the Hispanic community that way. Yeah. So the the, the, the the scenario that the how does it implode, Dan? Pardon? How does it how does it implode? Implode? Could you explain that? Sure, I'd be happy to. You have got some number of of moderate Democrats who have seen their party overtaken by the radical left. And they're out of power. And they're going to blame the radical left for putting them in the position that they're in. And so what you're going to see is significant division in the Democratic Party, probably after the inauguration. And you're going to see people abandoning the party. They're either going to become independent. By the way, just speaking about that, if you study the polling data, and I do. Uh, forget about the results of the polls. Look at the polling data. And the polling data typically breaks it down this way. 39% of the respondents are classified as independents. 32% are Democrats. And 29% are Republicans. So where are they going to go? They're going to move away from the Democratic Party and they're either going to go to the Republican Party or they're going to become independent. So that the physical size of the Democratic Party is going to be split maybe in a half or more so that neither one of them is a viable second party. They're going to be minorities. Hmm. Interesting. And hopefully the Republican Party will change hmm. towards Trump instead of the old rhino Let's establishment for years. Let's make well, that. You know, I think so. And I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Annie. Well, no, I said, Brandon, uh, let's struck, make that happen. That, Brandon struck us started that that movement a few years back of the walk yes. away, and you see that movement it, it just growing by leaps and bounds. And I think Donald Trump helped that happen also because people are watching what the Democratic Party is doing by aligning with Black Lives Matter by aligning and not denouncing Antifa. And as I said, mainstream America is not that way. They'll, they'll sit right. there on the sidelines and, and be independent, but they do tend to lean more Republican than they do Democrat if they go out to vote. Now, on this election with Donald Trump back in 2016, I actually saw people that I knew had never voted before in their life. One gentleman was in his 70s, a military veteran of all things, and he kept on complaining about this, complaining about that, and I says, well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to get out and vote? And he did vote. He and his wife, for the first time, both of them in their 70s, went out and voted for Trump. When they saw him the day after the election, said, we voted, and we voted for Trump. I think that movement's going to be even Larger this election season. Well, people I, I are going to would, get I would say, chairs and vote. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with that. And to ask to answer your guest, the other guest, the, the continuation of the question. One of the one of the biggest dislocations in the Democratic Party for its demise will be the significant movement. 
of blacks and Hispanics away from the Democratic Party. Exactly right. Yes, you know, I and so the, the Democrats, the Democrats need an 85 percent black vote in order to win office. Uh, I can tell you that in the talk shows that I'm on that are hosted by black individuals, um, they are all telling me from all over the country, the black people are moving in ways. Uh, we had uh, the uh, the the talk show guy with who. Um, who, who was with Joe Biden said if you if you can't figure out who you want to vote for, Charlemagne uh, the God. Huh? <laughs> yeah, he was on last night, and he, yeah. he was talking about exactly what Donald what I just said that Donald Trump is has reached out to the black community. He got yep. he put more black people to work than ever, and Hispanics, and so and women. You know, over yes, right, and Asians. So he he he. He lifted all of the boats, and so the the point is that that um, the the greatest defection will probably be the blacks and Latinos uh, away from Donald Trump, away from the, the Re- Democrats to the Republican Party, if it continues what Donald Trump is doing, and four more years will help us solidify that in the makeup of the Republican Party, um, and and so I I. I think that's where the where the party's going to split. A large number of blacks and Hispanics are going to walk away from uh, from the Democratic Party. One thing about Black Lives Matter, I don't know whether any of you saw this. It wasn't very highly publicized. Did anybody see the story that the NBA has decided Not that in the next <laughs> season they're going to take all the reference to Black Lives? Yes, sir. I saw that. Yes. Um, And you're going to see the NFL follow right behind. They lost so much viewership. It's unbelievable. And when you hit them in pocketbook, that's when they finally wake up. And I think American public hit them in the wallet. You, You hurt them there. They're going to wake up and finally smell the coffee. But I got a question for Clarence and Omar, because traditionally the black community and the Hispanic community are strongly founded on faith and family. And these are the two founding principles of the Republican Party. I always ask, why do they tend Democratic when even in the Democratic platform in 2016, they took the word God out of their platform. We still maintain it in the Republican platform, but why? If, if faith and family are your two strong principles in your community, why do you trend Democratic? Clarence, I want to oh, ask you that. Let me just say Mark. this. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Good. No, I, I was uh, talking to a group of people three weeks ago, and I said, Y'all don't understand one thing. It was a group of black folks. Why do black people go to church on Sunday and pray and yes this and yes God and yes Jesus this, and then on Tuesday go to the polls and vote for these Democrats and liberals who stand for exactly the opposite thing that they were saying they disagreed to in church? I think that's changing. Um, As Charlemagne the God even said the other day, uh, black men going for uh, the president. Uh, there's, and that's, if you look at the voter rolls in Florida, for example, on registered Democrats, black, registered uh, Democrats, uh, Republicans, black, uh, 
There are about 62,000 registered black Republicans in the state of Florida. There are about 150, it's up to almost 200,000 registered black independents. Now, those are people who left the Democratic Party, as uh, Dan was saying, and it's getting bigger and bigger. So why do we keep voting right. for these folks? Because the black leadership pushes them to do it. But these are the people who are maybe 40-plus. The younger crowd is, is, are not going to be doing that. I think that is changing. And the more they see blacks on television and candidates running for office and the Trump message, because and I'll, I'll make this quick, the Republican Party has not, as far as I can remember, going back a long time, ever since we all doing the days of Frank Farenkopf, who's on the on that commission now. Uh, they've never reached out since that time to black voters. What they'll do, the establishment, about two months before the election, they'll say, Clarence, Omar, Dan, we're setting up a committee on blacks for so-and-so. Would you be on the committee? Yes, but don't give us any advice. When Donald Trump said, what do you have to lose? That was the signal that he wanted to get black votes. Republicans haven't done that mm -hmm. before. And then he's got right. this group, Black Voices for Trump. Of course, they don't give him any money. But you wouldn't have a campaign. You wouldn't have ads. You wouldn't have ads to look around the country on these Black Voices Trump ads. They're not being sponsored by the Republican Party. And I blame, one last point, how did Trump get in trouble with all of these people he brought in who weren't serving him well? Look at his first chief of staff, Rance Priebus, right? Who's the guy who hired Kelly? He's the one that said hire these folks. Not getting into the point, maybe the president doesn't listen to them, but the Republican establishment has been taught a big lesson by Donald Trump on how to go out and try to get black votes. This would not be happening if you had the old... If you had all the people on the stage, the 16 other Republicans who were on the stage with Donald Trump in 2016 in the primary, they would have not done what Donald Trump has done in terms of blacks at all. So... I think to answer the question, it's changing and it's going to change. And if Trump had to hit a bit harder last night, which he does in his rallies, the issue of school choice, 100,000 black women in the state of Florida, that's 18%, voted for Ron DeSantis for governor here. Over is the black guy, Mr. Gilliam, who got in all that trouble. Right? But 100,000 <laughs> black women changed that vote, as they say in the book, you know. At school choice. You don't mess with these black women's kids or the black father's ah. kids. Oh, want no. their kids to go to good schools. And that's why don't the young people the are doing bear. this. Don't poke that mama bear. Omar, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, you know, one of the things I look at, you know, with the Hispanic community, you know, they, they've been indoctrinated heavily by, by you know, sp Spanish TV like Univision and Telemundo, Esteja Mexico. I mean, those, all those, they listen to all that, and what happens is they're controlling one narrative, and there's obviously working with the Democratic Party, and you have all these people that are just like – they sell them this, this, this falsehood. You know, they, make, they make them believe, like I was saying earlier, that the Democrats are the party of democracy when they are the, quite contrary to that. And you know, they, don't, they don't bring up so much that the Democrats want automatic ab abortion. They never talk about this on those Spanish TVs because they want to deceive people. They want people to, to make sure that Democrats look like they're, they're the good ones and we're the bad guys. And mm -hmm. all they do is attack Republicans for, for having wealth and for, for having something, and they make Republicans look like they're greedy people. And it, it, that's the problem that goes on in our society with the Hispanic community. Well, 
the Republican Party, like you said, with the black community, they, they don't do much to reach out to, to the Hispanic community. They rarely even – since, I mean, Bush was president, uh, that was the last time that I remember that they were trying to reach out to uh, the Hispanic community. But again, mm-hmm. you know, that, there's a big problem that goes on in factors right now in our, in our society. Even now, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, it, it, I, even though we're emphasizing more uh, going to the black community, I think that Trump needs to do a little bit better. Uh, with reaching out to the Hispanic community because mm-hmm. there, there's, there, there's, there, there's a lot of people, a lot of Hispanics like myself, who support him, who, are, who agree with him 100%, who um, families came here legally, went through the process the right way, who disagree with illegal immigration, that are for the wall, and, and for school choice, that, that are you know, pro-life. There's a lot of us, and I, I believe that you know I think the administration needs to do a little bit better job in outreaching to Hispanic voters, and I believe that they can win. But I think they, we just can't be remembered uh, in the last two weeks of the election or last month uh, or once in a while here. I think that we need to be pushed a little bit more in the forefront. Uh, even Fox News, I mean, they they lack you know Hispanic voices on there, uh, That's which right. is a big issue. And it, it, it's, I can't be the only one or, or, or one or two other people. There's got to be more. Like Candace Owens is going on there for the black community, and she's speaking out, which is she's a phenomenal voice. Uh, and you have Kim Klasik from, from, uh, from, from the other state. So, I mean, so, so we have all these other great people who are stepping up. And, again, if we don't have those voices, and, again, the only way to change the mind of, of a black voter is to a, another black voice, to change the mind of another Hispanic voter is through another Hispanic voice. And that's the way of doing it because a lot of times what happens is the, the Democrats have used identity politics and have separated people. A lot of people think to themselves, they're like, well, we should all be American. We should uh, see each other's red, white, and blue. But that's the way it should be. But again, the Democrats have divided us, so therefore we kind of have to play, play hand in hand with their, with their divisionary tactics and kind of break that gap of, of division. Omar, what is the Hispanic NAACP? Does it exist? Because you've got Cuban Hispanics, Puerto Rican Hispanics, and down in Florida you've got people from Venezuela and Central and South America fleeing the socialist governments. But is there any organization that's kind of an umbrella organization? I know La Raza used to be political. Yeah, so La Raza is still around. I mean, they're still around. I mean, there are a lot of separate subgroups. And the interesting yes. part is even with the Hispanic culture, and you know Latino culture, we're all very separate. You know, it's interesting yes. because you know there's a lot of discrimination that goes on within our own people. We like like Cubans don't don't mix with Mexicans. Mexicans don't like Cubans, and and and, yeah. uh, and, and Venezuelans don't like the Cubans, and then the and then the Mexicans don't like the Venezuelans, and so it's oh, like yeah. we're all like, we're all very very uh, separate. You know, we're not crabs in a barrel. People make them out to be crabs yeah. in a barrel. Well, well, Clarence and, and Omar, it has been a pleasure having both of you on. And Dan, too. My pleasure. Uh, this was great. This was such fun. It was so unexpected to have all three of you together. Um, but we're going to have to do this again because there's so much more to talk about. Uh, Clarence, people can find you uh, with uh, your Clarence McKee website and your book, How Obama Failed Black America and How Trump is Helping It, which is up on Amazon. People can download it onto their Kindle Omar, you have a podcast, which is called Omar Navarro Unfiltered, and you're going to keep on running against Maxine Waters. Omar Navarro Unfiltered. Out. <laughs> I'll see, I'll see, I'll see, maybe, and or the Gavin Newsom race seems a little bit enticing, because I'd rather fix the state, too, because it's a mess right now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You have a chance there. And, Dan, people can find you at danperkins.com. 
G U R U Guru. Uh, you have a marvelous website. You? People can find your podcast. G U R U. Is that what I said, or did I say something different? I'm but, sorry. No, she was you. Uh, and you also yeah, have songs and uh, songs and stories for pa- for soldiers. If I can get my teeth in straight, the three of you have been absolutely marvelous, and I want to thank you for hanging out with us today. Thank you, thank you so much. with both of you. Great. Thank you. All, you. all right. Thank you, Sid. <laughs> thank you, Annie. Very, very much. Have a good week. All right. Take care, my... all of you. Goodbye. All right. We we our our next victim up on the the batting box. Uh, welcome back to the show, if my computer will behave. Zach Smith with the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon, Zach. How are you today? Good afternoon. I'm okay. Thanks so much okay. for having me on. Oh, it is our pleasure. You know, um, we've got Amy Comey, the teeth in backwards. I cannot talk today. I don't know what the heck is wrong with me. Amy Comey Barrett, who's been going through the uh, judicial hearings she is now being tossed onto the floor for a full Senate vote. Oh, my God, what a sideshow this has been. Well, it really has. And unfortunately, you know, I'm sure as we've all watched the hearings over the, the past couple of weeks, you know, more than anything today, they're political theater. Uh, but compared to some of the hearings in the recent past, you know, Brett Kavanaugh's or even uh, Clarence Thomas's hearing in the early 90s, you know, this one was pretty tame by comparison. <clears throat> and I think it really speaks to how well uh, the White House, Mitch McConnell and Amy Coney Barrett really prepared for the hearings. And, you know, to, to put it bluntly, she is a rock star uh, during the hearings and uh, shows that she is qualified and ready to take her seat as an associate justice on the Supreme Court. And I was absolutely fascinated with the way in which she was answering the questions. And no matter what they did, um, she just handled it like a full trooper. Well, she really did. And, you know, I think one of the iconic images to come out of the hearings, <clears throat> at one point, John Cornyn <laughs> asked her if she could pick up the notepad in front of her and hold it up to show everyone the notes she was using. And she picked it up, and it was basically a blank, a blank notepad in front of her. And so she was sitting there talking about, you know, very complex constitutional issues, uh, cases she had decided many years ago, articles she had written many, many years ago, and she was doing it all from memory, basically. And so, again, I think it speaks well to her preparation uh, and her intellect and her ability uh, to, you know, to perform her duties as a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, it is. It's very phenomenal. And she was doing everything off the top of her head. And I, I love that. You know, she didn't have to refer to anyone. She And sometimes you see them, they'll talk to an associate, you know, let's talk about this before I answer the question. She didn't do a single thing. And her poise, her poise was right. just beautiful. Right. No, that's absolutely right. And, you know, before the hearings, we'd heard some rattlings of potential attacks against her, you know, uh, when she was nominated in 2017 for her current position on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. You know, she was attacked for her faith. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein said, you know, the dogma lives loudly within you, and that's concerning. And so we heard some of those same types of attacks uh, being floated uh, in the weeks before her uh, hearing. But fortunately, at the hearing itself, we didn't really see those personal attacks like we saw with Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, you know, the hearing focused mostly uh, on her judicial philosophy, her qualifications, 
And then, of course, you know, there was the political point scoring uh, going on as well. Uh, but overall, it was a, a much, much better process uh, than we've seen in the recent past. Well, I, I, I look back at the hearings, and what hit me the hardest was looking at the Hawaiian senator, Senator Hirono, when she asked those sexual questions. And I'm, I'm sitting there, like, out of left field, where did this come from? Was she looking at notes from Kavanaugh's hearing and just, just said, well, uh, this is a, a, a Supreme Court judge, so these same notes should, you know, one size fits all for every single nominee. It was so well, that's out of exactly left what she And left well, is in exactly... quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, but that's exactly what she's doing. She's taking a one size fits all approach. Uh, because I've watched uh, a lot of the Judiciary Committee hearings where lower court nominees have been put up for confirmation as well. And Senator Hirono asked that same question of every nominee uh, that comes before the committee, it, even when there's no allegations or even suggestions uh, that any type of uh, impropriety or sexual impropriety or anything like that has taken place. And so it, is, uh, it did seem like an odd a question and uh, certainly one uh, you know, that potentially, you know, in my view, might not have been the best use of her uh, time if she was really looking to discuss judicial philosophy, qualifications, and other serious issues uh, that could come before the Supreme Court. Now, and it was such a, a breath of fresh air to see an originalist, you know, someone that would adhere to the founding principles of the Constitution. But this is something that you uh, wrote an article about recently, um, at just at this past week, about the Seventh Court saying that the judge's orders and uh, provides a civic lesson on the proper role of judges, not to be legislators, but to be actually interpreters of the law. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, you know, there's really been, we've seen draconian lockdowns. We've seen really uh, some intrusive measures, which even if, you know, the officials mean well, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, even if they mean well with some of these things, you know, they're still very troubling uh, with the, the duration, the uh, intrusiveness, you know, the manner that they restrict our civil rights in a lot of ways. And so with this court decision, it was dealing specifically with election procedures. Uh, a federal judge had stepped in, had uh, altered election procedures at the last minute for the upcoming election. And basically what uh, these judges and other judges uh, around the country who are hearing these types of cases have repeatedly said, and, and they're taking their cues from uh, the Supreme Court in some ways, but they said, look, there's no pandemic exception to the Constitution. You know, our Bill of Rights, our constitutional freedoms still apply now uh, just like they did before. And it's important to realize that it's not the role of the federal courts, it's not the role of a federal judge uh, to install their own policy preferences, their own preferred election procedures uh, in place of the ones developed by state officials and specifically state legislatures. And so that's what we've seen with a lot of circuit courts uh, around the country. That's the intermediate appellate courts uh, stepping in and reminding district court judges when they overstep uh, that the Constitution still applies. And it's not a federal judge's role uh, to impose their own policy preferences uh, in lieu of state officials' uh, policy preferences. 
you know, it, it's funny because I've always said all politics start locally. And right now, my own county council threw an ordinance out. And fortunately, it has to have three readings, so it becomes public with public comment, where they want to make wearing the mask not only mandatory, but with no end in sight, permanent. And this is where we need to remind our government, you know, the Constitution, what it is. And barring that, once we take this beyond the county council, it's going to end up in court. But this is where we need to have judges that are constitutionally based. And this is the most important reason why we have to have a hearing like Amy Comey Barrett to remind the public that we are based upon a constitution, aren't? Isn't it? Isn't it so important yeah, to put that out there? Absolutely. And you know, I think that Amy Coney Barrett did a great job explaining her judicial philosophy as an originalist, as a textualist, and basically all that means is that it's a judge's job to interpret the law, not to make the law. And so, what Amy Coney Barrett and other originalist and textualist judges do, are they're supposed to do? is look at the text of the Constitution, look at the text of the laws that were passed by Congress, and interpret the – decide the case based on the text of the law, not based on some other amorphous principles or their own policy preferences are updated. You know, you hear about living constitutionalism sometimes, the, the idea that judges can update the Constitution or laws to better fit our times. And originalists, textualists, they say, no, no, no. We look at the text. Our job is to uh, decide cases based on the law, and it's the job of senators, congressmen, uh, other elected officials uh, to make those other policy preferences. That's not the role of judges. And I think in a lot of ways it was really refreshing uh, to see Amy Coney Barrett lay out uh, that judicial philosophy uh, for everyone to see. Well, you know, you also had another fantastic article uh, government officials and federal judges both need to be reminded that there's no pandemic exception to the Constitution. And as we were talking with our fellow guests, when you look at the number of deaths from this pandemic, and I actually ran the numbers on my of my calculator while we were on air, the number of deaths to our population comes down to point zero 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 six, not even a 1%, far less than 1%, and yet we're allowing government to impose upon us this pandemic mentality. We get more people dying from cancer, car accidents, gun incidents, I mean, heart attacks, far higher mortality rate than we have from the pandemic. Well, and I think one of the troubling aspects we've really seen out of the pandemic, you know, we're seeing uh, restrictions on a lot of our civil liberties, uh, but especially in the area of religious freedom, religious practice. You know, in many places, uh, government officials have treated churches and other religious gatherings uh, differently, more restrictively uh, than they have uh, other gatherings or other types of, uh, you know, uh, group outings that can be made. And so we've seen a lot of lawsuits working their way through the court systems, dealing specifically with that issue. 
at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, back in March, April, May, uh, the Supreme Court, you know, they didn't really want to intervene. Um, Chief Justice Roberts wrote a, um, a, a short opinion in one case basically saying, you know, that, again, that's not the court's job to do that. But I think the longer uh, the pandemic has gone on, you know, judges are looking at this, uh, you know, they're weighing uh, the restrictions versus our civil liberties. And you are starting to see judges uh, finding that some of these very restrictive, uh, uh, you know, prohibitions on religious gatherings, that those do violate uh, the First Amendment, you know, our right to freely exercise our religion. And so I think that's encouraging to see that. It's encouraging to see uh, religious groups, churches, you know, everyday uh, Christians or other people of faith uh, pushing back against these restrictions. And I think we'll start to see uh, more of that if uh, these lockdowns continue uh, for much longer or these prohibitions continue for much longer or if they are potentially reopposed again at some point in the future. Well, like I said, my county council is looking to make it permanent, and they're going to hear a lot from us. Unfortunately, the other side, the people that panic, uh, tend to get their voices heard a lot louder, and those of us that are opposing this tend to be more laid back and uh, let's not get involved, but we've got to get ourselves involved. Um, it, 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 you're right that it's almost like Alice in Wonderland. We're going down the rabbit hole and there may just not be any way back up unless we start fighting back. Well, and that's especially why it's so important to pay attention to a lot of these election-related lawsuits going down, a lot of the uh, election um, you know, changes and changes in procedures that are being sought right now. You know, in several states, uh, judges have tried to extend the deadline, you know, for when absentee ballots can be received and counted by up to a week in some cases, uh, which is troubling um, and, you know, greatly increases the, the chances that we won't know who the winner of our election is on election day. Uh, you've seen lawsuits related to ballot drop boxes. You know, there's very real concern over the integrity, the security of ballots once they're received. And so in some uh, states and counties, uh, officials have said, you know, you can only have drop boxes at one location, at the supervisor of elections location. Uh, there's been challenges to that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, a whole host of other challenges to registration requirements, uh, photo ID requirements, uh, all of those sorts of things. And so I think, you know, these are important issues to pay attention to. And uh, again, you know, really go to the ability for us to be sure that we have uh, integrity in our elections, that they're safe, they're secure, and that we can really control our own future uh, based on who we choose to be our duly elected leaders. Well, here in South Carolina, we had a win uh, because there was two individuals, two activists that were trying to say that your absentee ballot should not require uh, a verification uh, signature uh, because they were uh, vulnerable to the virus because of COVID. Right. Uh, they would be put in jeopardy. And they kind of shot themselves in the foot when they posted to their Facebook pages pictures of them sitting in restaurants eating in public without any masks or anything. Um, so South Carolina fortunately struck that down and said, yeah, no, no, no. You still need the verification signature on your absentee ballot, but they won't they won't stop at anything to subvert 
the vote. And we have ballot harvesting. Even here in South Carolina, an individual can collect up to 12 ballots. So what would stop me or anyone else from walking into, say, a nursing home and having someone who has no idea what you're doing, have them sign the ballot, you fill it out, mail it in. Ballot harvesting is a big problem. Well, and I think it highlights, you know, the related problem of universal mail-in voting because some of the concerns you just mentioned would also be be the same for universal mail-in voting that we're seeing a lot of states uh, trying to adopt right now. You know, uh, the problem with that is, uh, unfortunately, many states' voter rolls are not very good. They're not very up-to-date. And so what we're seeing are people who have been dead for many years, people who have moved out of state uh, many years ago, uh, people who have not lived at a certain address for you know many, many years receiving ballots. Uh, and so the potential for fraud in those situations uh, greatly increases when you have all of these uh, extraneous ballots out there floating around. And so, again, it highlights, I think, the need for us to pay attention to, uh, be aware of all of the election-related issues uh, that are going on right now. And certainly, you know, if you and your listeners are able to go and vote in person, uh, that is certainly the most secure way to vote. If there are any issues, election officials can help you resolve it uh, then and there. And it's really the, the best way to ensure that your vote will be uh, counted. Well, you know, I'm going I'm to mention two things. There's a website called EngageTheRight.com, and if our listeners go to that, have if you have moved within the last five to ten years between states, go to EngageTheRight.com, click over onto the icon for Stop Voter Fraud, key in your name, your date of birth, and the state you moved from to see if you're still on that state's voter rolls. If you are, you can contact the state voter commission and get your name removed. Otherwise, your ballot, if it's a mail-in ballot, might get mailed to whoever's living in that house or that apartment or whatever. So check out EngageTheRight.com and go over to Stop Voter Fraud. But people can actually look at Heritage Foundation, uh, Heritage.org, Hans von Spakovsky and you maintain where you have samples of statewide voter fraud in cases that have come through. It's not the full what's going on throughout the entire United States, but they can see a good sampling of what has been already proven. That's right. And those are cases where there's been some type of finding of voter fraud. Uh, and, you know, recently there have been attacks on the, the, uh, the election fraud database uh, that Hans and the Heritage Foundation maintains. Uh, a recent um, piece by USA Today is, is attacking it. But I encourage you and your listeners, go to heritage.org. Uh, Hans, the Heritage Foundation, has put together a very thorough, a very detailed point-by-point uh, response to that, showing why those allegations are, are just not true. And so, you know, I think it really highlights the fact you know, uh, we are bringing uh, light to this very real problem. You know, a lot of people, uh, especially on the left, say, well, this is just made up. But, you know, it doesn't happen. We'll go to the database, look at it. You know, many of these people on the database have been prosecuted uh, or received fines uh, for their actions. And so I think it highlights uh, really uh, that, that this is a real problem, and it is something we all need to be aware of uh, and taking steps to, to prevent 
uh, to be sure that all of us uh, who vote appropriately and legally, uh, that our votes uh, do count, uh, and again, that we can control uh, who we want to be our elected leaders. You know, the funny thing is, is that we've got judges that are trying to change the rules of voting prior to the election. And fortunately, the Sixth Circuit, I can say that straight, Sixth Circuit Court, (laughs) that's like sex, 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 um, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled reminding judges not to change the rules prior to an election. We have judges that look at themselves as legislators and not as judges. They, they, They no longer know what their job is. Right. And I think that's absolutely right. And it goes back to this broader point that a judge's role is to look at the Constitution, look at the text of the laws that are passed and interpret those and apply the law. It's not to be policymakers. It's not to be unelected, life tenured, super legislators uh, that can, you know, again, just impose their own policy preference. Uh, Those types of policy decisions are left to our elected officials, uh, you know, members of Congress, the president uh, on the federal level, and then, you know, our state and local elected officials um, elsewhere. And so I think it really highlights the, pro- you know, uh, a problem. And it also highlights the fact that, you know, President Trump, Mitch McConnell, uh, they deserve a lot of credit for really pushing hard to get a lot of constitutionally committed judges uh, like Amy Coney Barrett appointed to the federal bench uh, at all levels of the federal judiciary. And, you know, fortunately, uh, we're seeing uh, part of those great appointments, uh, more uh, of those originalist textualist decisions uh, are coming down, and we are seeing judges understand uh, what their proper role is in our system of government. Now, I would like to add, I would like to add that with, um, I'm, I'm, pretty sure that Amy Barrett is going to be placed on the courts. But as we all know, in the past, um, Chief Justice um, John Roberts has occasionally sided with the left. I think all that's going to be neutralized now with Amy, you know, on the court. Now, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, you know, Amy Coney Barrett's ascension to the Supreme Court certainly shifts the court uh, in a more conservative direction. You know, she's replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, who was uh, a, a very liberal member of the court. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, I'm sure we've all heard a lot of talk uh, by Democratic lawmakers about potentially packing the court, uh, which is just expanding the size of the Supreme Court uh, in an attempt to appoint more justices uh, who agree with your political positions. And, you know, the last time that was really talked about or considered was back in the 1930s when FDR uh, tried to push through something similar. And even then, uh, members of his own party, uh, members of the Democratic Party, recognized how dangerous uh, that would be, uh, what a break of uh, norms that would be. And so I'm hopeful uh, that, again, today, you know, more uh, – Uh, cooler heads will prevail, uh, more rationally thinking uh, people will prevail, and that uh, Democratic lawmakers will take a step back and realize uh, what a dangerous step it would be to politicize our court system in that way. That's the whole problem. The the court system has become a political pawn 
Um, but a lot of people don't realize that in some instances, judges are appointed and others, they're elected. And we have now meddling in our election system uh, with the likes of George Soros, where he's actively uh, working to put in district attorneys and judges that are more politically aligned with him than with mainstream America. This is a real problem, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, my colleague, Cully Stimson, and I, we're currently working on a, a, a paper about a lot of these rogue prosecutors. And it's really shocking. Uh, I was shocked when I learned about it. You know, they're prosecutors who are basically running on the idea that they won't do their job, that there are whole classes of laws that they just disagree with and that they won't enforce. Uh, and so really uh, what they're doing is they're uh, they're taking the power of the legislature uh, for themselves by saying, you know, we disagree with drug possession laws in some cases, so we're not going to prosecute any drug possession crimes. Uh, we don't agree with the bail laws, so we're going to seek a much more lenient uh, bail for, for most defendants. And unfortunately, what we're seeing in a lot of these cities that have these rogue prosecutors like San Francisco, like Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, uh, we're seeing a spike in violent cr- crime. Uh, and I think that yeah, will continue as long as they continue these policies. Yeah, look at what New York State has done, New York City and New York State alone. Uh, California now, Newsom has this new um, plan for bail. Where it, it, it's absolutely gotten out of hand, and the criminals are getting the upper hand. It's as if they're telling them, you know, you know what, if you're going to get mugged, go ahead and give them your wallet and the cops are not going to respond and we're not going to prosecute. It's gotten to that point in many places. Well, as you know, fortunately, and a lot of people see this and they think, well, you know, petty theft, simple larceny, you know, they don't really affect, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not serious crimes. Well, I would disagree. You know, we're seeing businesses in San Francisco that are leaving the area. They're having to shut down because of these repeated instances of theft that are going unprosecuted. Uh, one statistic is, as of September of this year, you know, there were 30 uh, smashing grabs, break-ins of cars a day in San Francisco, uh, many of which are going unsolved and unprosecuted. And so, you know, not only are there are the violent crimes increasing, uh, but you're also seeing problems that are stemming from the, you know, the lack of prosecution, the unwillingness to prosecute, uh, you know, whole swaths of the criminal code. Now it is a real problem. I'm looking at the clock. We're down to our last five minutes. This show has gone so, so fast. It's always fun to have you Zach or Hans or others uh, from the heritage with us. Uh, You guys do such fantastic work. And I got to admit that whenever we have a tea party meeting, and yes, we still have an active tea party where I live, <laughs> and I'm the chair of it, um, when we donate to the owner of the restaurant that gives his time and uh, facilities to us, he takes that money and donates it to the Heritage Foundation. So, you know, you're still getting money from tea party people here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the compliment. and You know, I know uh, I always certainly – I enjoy getting to be on and uh, get a chance to to talk with uh, all of you as well. Oh, it is always our pleasure. You got to tell Tom to keep on sending you guys back here every week. <laughs> we always have the front. <laughs> will... Well, thank you we so much. We always save the I really appreciate last. that. Oh, it has been our pleasure. Uh, but... People can find you at heritage.org, correct? 
That's right. Oh. If you go to heritage.org, you can see the election fraud database. You can see all of the articles that I've written, that my colleagues have written. And then if uh, any of you or your listeners are on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at TZ Smith, uh, where I post uh, uh, many of my articles as well as other uh, interesting articles and information I come across uh, as well. That's if Twitter doesn't silence us. (laughs) Absolutely. 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 Well, God bless Zach. Enjoy your weekend. Check out Zach. Check out Zach. All right, uh, Curtis, this, all right. this is all we got today, and we'll be back next week. We're going to have Danelle D'Souza Gills uh, with her new book about abortion on uh, next week. And other great people were lining up already. Um, and I think next show will be your last one for a short while while you take a hiatus, correct, Curtis? That's correct. And um, I should be back in January. Um well, I do have uh, – I did get a message from Kat. They're going to do the show a little earlier, like 2 to 2.30. So we, we're going to have um, Congressman um, Ted Yoho's potential replacement next week. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I'm glad you were able to reach her because I sent a message also. Um, her house was – was trolled by Antifa just recently – uh, and her husband, who happens to be a first responder, had to wake, make his way through the crowd that was outside her front door in order for him to get to work. Uh, it's getting out of hand out of there. But uh, we'll be back Anarchy. next week. Yep. And we're going to close the show off with our friend Gary Piccarella's song, Save America. And that's what we have to do. It's going to be a ballot box revolution November 3rd. So let's save America. If I can get the song to play. I stand for the flag.